What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host for this evening. Joining me, as always, is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. Hope you had a nice Easter. Uh, and we have a very, very fun show for today. Um, we are celebrating the 20th anniversary. God, I just I sound old even just saying that. <laughs> the 20th anniversary of the Shrek franchise, beginning with the original um, released in 2001. That spawned three sequels, a spinoff, a bunch of various shorts, holiday specials. Um, a spinoff series of the spinoff. Yeah. And a sequel to that spinoff coming out next year. And a possible reboot slash fifth film but we'll get to that later for now we have some news to talk about so Cameron what do you got well we must honor the passing of Jessica Walter who is an Emmy winning and Golden Globe nominee actress um, who most animation fans would know as uh, Mallory from Archer who was also Archer's mom and such uh, she passed away at 80 years old, and she's done plenty of other animation work. Like, she was in uh, Miss Heinous from Star vs. the Forces of Evil. I just got done with the first season. I enjoyed it. Um, and she was in, like, Dinosaurs and uh, plenty of other show shows. And it's it's sad to see her go because she was such a talented actress and a very funny one. And there's always those fun stories online where, like, when Archer was getting made, they put out a call for a Jessica Walter-type uh, actress. And then the, her agent called them and was like, do you, do you guys just want Jessica Walter? Because... <laughs> I, I, I love stories like that. I know. It's, it, it's always those little surprises that makes the Hollywood experience a lot less cynical. It, it, I, I'm sad that she's gone. She was a very unique and from what i watched of archer she she on top of everyone else was just great yeah my my brother my brother is a big fan of um arrested development so when i texted him that that jessica walter passed away uh he he got he got pretty uh heartbroken it's really sad it's like i don't know how they're gonna keep doing arrested development now because she was just a huge part of that show but also now it's just like now what is there even a point mm. I, I don't think there is even if netflix throws all the money in the world at them so uh we got some updates to modok the new marvel stop motion series that's premiering on may 21st we have some new cast members we have john ham who will be voicing iron man Whoopi goldberg as pound cakes nathan fillion as wonder man and my favorite announcement of this of it all, Bill Hader as Angar the Screamer and the leader. Um, that's a great that's a great set of actors to add on to the show, which is already like like well casted. Oh yeah. You know? But so, by the by the way, I completely forgot that. Uh, I think I think a week ago, um, one like WonderCon had its uh virtual, um like virtual uh comic-con yeah so 
you know, if there's if there's any if there's any news that we missed from that convention, uh, just sent just send it our way. I, I saw a little bit of the the clip they released, and the 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 sense the sense of humor is is right on my alley. I might I might just be biased because Patton Oswalt just has like natural comedic te- like comedic uh, timing. Timing, yeah. I've listened to every single Patton Oswalt comedy special, so I have plenty of them on my phone. <laughs> so it, it, he's definitely up my alley too. So we'll just have to see how that goes. I hope it's good. I can't wait. Same. Uh, I hate that I have to wait until next month, but whatever. So uh, the famous shonen anime black clover is getting an anime film the show just well it's about to wrap up or i think just wrapped up and now it's going to get a movie that's really it that they have so far um if you want to watch this show it's on funimation and crunchyroll but funimation is streaming the english dub and if anyone is curious it would be fun to tackle this just to just to see what it what it's like but it's also like 150 episodes (laughs) yeah um if if you if anyone wants wants us to cover one of these like one of these long-running shonen it'll it'll have to be by popular demand but i've i've heard i've heard some pretty good things about about black clover yeah, no, it, I'm not so down on shonen anime as most anime fans are. As long as it, like I'm entertained and like I find it compelling enough, then I'm going to keep watching. I, I mean, like I've dropped off of shows like uh, Seven Deadly Sins, Naruto, Bleach, and what have you. But um, the, but the I'm still going. Reason I've I've dropped off um, shonen um, series. It's it's not. It's not necessarily for lack of interest. It's just, you know, there there's a lot of things to keep up with. So if if you end up missing a week or two or seven, it's it's hard it's hard to get back into it. Yeah, and uh, just to correct something, 170 episodes. Jeez, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe when we launch a Patreon, we'll make that a high tier goal or something. <laughs> I'd be I'd be into that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Keanu Reeves is in our animation uh, sites because he's going to be making a movie and anime series based off of. Is it his graphic novel Berserker? I'm um, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he's he's behind this. Yeah, so he's going to be. They're going to be making. I think what I remember is a live action film, but they're also going to make an anime series based off of it. And I, yeah, give me more animated Keanu. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I love Keanu. He's one of those actors that has a lot of compelling stage presence per, or film presence per se. And I'm not, I mean, why not? <laughs> exactly. All, all I had to do to be sold on this was um, look, look at the, uh, like that, like that one panel that just shows him, like, I guess jumping out of a helicopter. Yeah. That that like the pose that he's in is is just perfection. I hope I hope the animated series uh, retains that art style. Do you have a studio you'd want to make this for? Like, 
Um, like, do you have, or like, have an idea or such? I, I don't know. Um, if, if, I if, think... they're, if they're going for more of an anime style, um, I, I would say, I would say Mappa. I was going to say Mappa too, because they are really good at action. And either that or Wit Studios. I don't think like a studio trigger would do well with this show. Like if they want to keep the visuals of the show of the comic intact. Yeah. Because tr- like, trigger, trigger is a little bit too uh, bouncy, I guess. Yeah, they're, uh, they're like the same kind of studio, like with science Saru, they kind of want to break up and do something different than what, uh, you know, what no other studios do, but um, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, Spire Animation is back in the news because they are teaming up with Danny McBride for an animated film called Trouble. Um, So Trouble tells the story of Jax, a 13-year-old who gets into trouble because of his bad behavior towards his family and then literally ends up in the world of Trouble, a parallel reality. Once he's transported to this bizarre and fantastic world of chaotic adolescence, he has to figure out how to get out of trouble and get back home. Jax and the friends he meets in the world of trouble discover their true character and through a whimsical adventure, learn the value of self-forgiveness and empathy to earn their shot at redemption, all the while trying to escape the scariest place of all, big trouble. Do, do you ever read a premise for an animated film and just kind of imagine in your head the trailer? I hope, like, this sounds great. <laughs> um, like, as, as you're reading the, uh, the synopsis, I, like, I was already kind of imagining how the trailer would play out, and yeah. I need this movie, I need this movie ASAP. So he'll be a, so Danny McBride will be a, well, um, it's a, or, so this film is an original story co-created by writer, actor, and director Danny McBride, so... Um, that'll be interesting to see because, you know, like a lot of people seen him in like acting, like comedy films and, uh, his, like, like the Angry Birds movie too, which I thought he was great in that. Uh, he's in like Despicable Me, Kung Fu Panda 2. And is he uh, also in, um, Mitchell, Ver- Mitchell versus the Machines? Yeah, he plays the dad and we'll get to that soon. And he's also in like, of course, the typical Seth Rogen stuff like Pineapple Express and, his HBO shows like uh, the Righteous Gemstones and Vice Principles. So um, th- this sounds great. Yeah, more, give us more original content. I'm down for that. Same. So um, AMC, the channel, not the theater chain, um, has a cast lineup for the their stop motion half hour show uh, from Stupid Buddy Studios. Uh, the Robot Chicken and Crossing Swords team and the people making MODOK uh, for their for the series Ultra City Smiths. We have Jimmy Simpson, um, Davine Joy Randolph, um, John C. Riley, Bebe Newworth, Jason Manzukis, Damon uh, Harriman, Melissa Villasenor, uh, Kurtwood Smith, Tim Heidecker, Chris Conrad, and Hannah May Lee. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. I well, I love John C. Riley, so I'm 
I'm super excited to see him and stuff. And I feel I feel like we've been we've been seeing or hearing a lot of uh, Jason Mansukas in animation lately. He's just good at what he does. He's he's a very distinct comedic actor, and I'm just glad that he's getting into more uh, shows. Um, and I love Divine Joy. Uh, sorry, I might have mispronounced it as Divine, but I think it's Divine. Um, because she's in Dolomite is my name, and that was just one of my favorite movies from 2019. And I mean, this is a strong cast. Um, I guess let's keep moving. Let's get into some controversy. Tokyo Babylon, uh, the anime by or the series by Clamp Studios. Well, it was going to get a 2021 anime but now it has to restart its entire production. Oh man. Because it was originally going to be set at Gohan's, the people behind Scars of the Praetor. Um, yikes. <laughs> um, because there were some issues with the character's fashion. And now that sounds kind of silly. It's like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it's plagiarism if you're copying... Some- a real life person's outfit like and it's very distinct it's not just what i wear a shirt what's wrong with that no 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 very distinct <laughs> so yeah so now clamp is looking for another studio and yeah they have to start from square one <laughs> let me let me let me ask you this do you think do you think they dodged a bullet by um, by not moving forward with the studio behind uh, Scars of Praetor? On one hand, yes, because I just don't think uh, Gohans has made a thing I like. On the other hand, it kind of makes sense that they would go with them first, but I think they need something maybe like a studio wit or maybe the studio that's doing fruit baskets. Um to do to do the style justice because clamp is a very distinct visual style it's kind of like you see the you see what they make and it's like oh yeah that's a clamp anime or what have you it's kind of like spotting akira toriyama and what have you so right and aren't aren't like aren't like all of their um like their manga set in the same universe too kind of yes (laughs) like i think tokyo babylon takes place before x um, but I, it's been ages and usually the I only like one I've actually, I've actually seen, um, start to finish is, uh, Subasa, which I, I haven't seen oh, it in a while, yeah. but I remember really liking it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully clamp and this anime find a better place, but, oh, we'll have to see a lot of anime product behind the scene production troubles are always kind of fascinating to watch and you kind of want to hear everything be the fly on the wall and whatnot. So um, Pete Brownsguard has inked an overall deal with WB Animation and Cartoon Network Studios. He's the guy behind Looney Tunes, the new ones, Clarence and Uncle Grandpa. (laughs) So this is a big deal because like, obviously like we are getting more Looney Tunes cartoons by the end of the month, which is, you know, awesome. And so and it and it, well, and it's as good because it sounds like WB and Cartoon Network are like, 
we want you on. Just make us something. So <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 really happy with this. Um I I also I also should point out again that um his his team made uh two Tom and Jerry shorts, which are like some of the best modern incarnations of the famous cat and mouse duo. Um, and apparently they're being taken off HBO Max soon. So if you haven't seen them yet, you should get on that. I don't get why they're doing that. Like, I guess that, I don't know. They, that doesn't like, I don't know. It, it's, I guess they don't own all the Boomerang stuff yet, or they're just like I guess Boomerang is successful on its own to not have to be engulfed by HBO Max. But apparently, because I I'm I'm confused why Warner Media likes to have all of their their stuff sprinkled sprinkled in so many other places instead of keeping everything in one in one home just do it just keep it all in one place because people are already getting sick and tired of having to pick between streaming services uh, it might not be everyone but it's just like oh boy gotta pay for another one and we'll just have to see but anyway congrats to pete he's a he and his team have been just delightful to see their work on screen and i can't wait for the new looney tunes shorts i see that puma character that oh yeah uh, pete pete puma yeah um that's a character that sticks with me i don't know why but i always remember his like his voice and just his his mannerisms so i'm curious i'm excited to see bugs money interact with him same so uh, Disney's launching a 20th television animation studio and is promoting uh, veteran exec Marcy Proietto to run new units. And she's, of course, res- been responsible with dealing with Family Guy and The Simpsons. Um, I'm curious to see where this goes because on one hand, they've had some success, but they've also had some failures because they also just re- just canceled uh bless the hearts after two seasons and um that, that was just kind of a bummer because i've heard that show is actually pretty good but that art style man <laughs> mm, yeah and of course th- they just recently released solar opposites on hulu and due to some recent news about a certain actor on that show I'm blacklisting that show unless he's replaced. Um, smart, smart move. Yeah, it's not fun to watch that show anymore. And, and I already wasn't so impressed by it. So <laughs> works for me. But um, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I'm curious to know, to see where Marcy takes the direction of this. Uh, like, like what, what with the work and such. So. Um. I can't really, um, I can't really say anything about the legacy shows because I I haven't really been a consistent viewer of those in over a decade. But 
like the like the new the new shows that come from this like um re reorganized uh animation studio yeah i'm 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 excited to see uh how how she uh like how she leaves her mark on um on adult animation right right so speaking of disney disney has had dropped a few updates like of course black widow and Quella having both theatrical and premiere access like ray and the last dragon and well they dropped some news that luca the newest pixar film will be a disney plus original excuse me will be a disney plus original and will be released june 18th I'm mixed. I get why they're doing it, but I also wish they like what get what makes Cruella and Black Widow that much more important to the premiere access strategy than uh, Luca. Like, what does what what's up with the Pixar stuff? Because it's gonna drive people wild because this is, this is the second time that they've done this with with soul last year but you can at least say they they put that on disney plus as a quote-unquote gift you know it's 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 funny how cute they're being about this because soul soul came out on disney plus on christmas day and luca comes out on june 18th as according to um this article as a special offering to kick off the summer season um so so what they're 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 aiming this towards kids who are like just getting off of school and have like that like that one summer treat to look forward to yeah i guess so i i don't know i would have loved to have seen this movie in a theater i wish they were just doing that i because it same because if the the Godzilla versus Kong news info that's coming out as we record this is any indication. People will do both. They'll go to see it at theater and then go or watch it on Disney, Disney Plus, HBO Max, or whatever. So I don't I I don't know. I, I guess it's like why do people have to pay for Cruella when I feel like most people would rather see Cruella for free? I, I wonder if budget has has something to do with it. Like for for Black Widow, I totally understand because oh, yeah. it's a Marvel movie, those those things somehow are not allowed to cost less than a hundred million. For some reason. <laughs> um, but Cru- Cruella Cruella seems a bit more like a flashier mid-budget film. And it's not like I'm not looking forward to it. I mean, the director of I, Tanya and such and like the team behind making this film is insane. And it's going to be weird to see them try to make everyone root for the person who is going to skin a hundred puppies. But <laughs> like, I don't know. I get the, I get the, I, like, a, like, I agree. I agree with the Black Widow stuff, but I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's weird because I don't think Mulan did very well at with the premiere access thing. So I don't know why they're trying to do it with Cruella. 
it's it it's very confusing but hey what do we know we're not we're we're not in those offices that's true i i or i guess in this case zoom meetings but <laughs> so uh funimation is going to be co-producing an anime this year uh it'll be released on exclusively to the str- service and it's a adaptation of she professed herself pupil of the wise man and that's really it and they've revealed of course like the cast and uh and who will be working on it uh like keitaro uh motonaga will be uh uh directing the anime um and well it it looks cute i'm this is i think the second time i've seen something like with funimation uh co-producing something because they got that movie that's coming out i think this year um and it'll be interesting to see because i assume they're doing this because crunchyroll is doing it probably and and uh, both both um those services are now under the same roof well so far apparently there's some hiccups in terms of the buyout right now and I think they're just kind of investigating a little more before they make it official. Hmm. Uh, I think there was just some like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let, how was this made possible kind of thing? But, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if it still goes through, but we'll have to see. So um, a new Hulu original animated series is coming out, um, created by Michael Cusack, who did YOLO Crystal Fantasy, which I haven't seen, but I'm curious to check that show out now because of this. It is called Koala Man, and Justin Roiland will be helping out with this, and uh, Bento Box and Princess Pictures will be executive producers. The series is an adult-targeted animated family comedy where the patriarch lives a not-so-secret identity of Koala Man. An Australian suburban superhero with no powers, but a burning passion to snuff out petty crime and bring order to the community. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, this this sounds like fun. Um, I, I see I see some names uh, like Dan Hernandez and Benji Samet, who I believe worked on um, Detective Pikachu. Yeah, and they also worked on Central Park. Yep, One Day at a and Time, The Tick, Super Fun Night. 1600 Pin, and yeah, so um, that's interesting to see. And um, oh, yeah, yeah, they wrote Detective Pikachu. So uh, th- that would be kind of a fun combination. I'm, I'm not sold on the design, but if this show kind of plays with the absurdity of, well, koala man <laughs> sorry i can only think about gary owen saying that voice kind of like because you know he was the voice of space ghost and oh uh, yeah man and you know like those old hannibal bear action shows were like bird man oh my god like i could listen to those opening clips like for hours it, it's just something you don't get anymore sorry for the tangent um so netflix will be making a new animated film uh called steps and it'll be produced by amy polar and directed by animator elise zoo create who created a stu- um soar 
um, a student film, like it was a, uh, sorry, the 2015 Student Academy Award gold medal winner, Soar. So Steps is a spin on the classic Cinderella story in which the two overlooked stepsisters set out on an epic journey after being rejected by the prince and realize that their own happily ever afters might be much different from what they thought. That's such a cool premise. I love that. <laughs> that that has Amy Poehler written all over it. Um, I honestly, I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Poehler and and Faye um, were the voice of the stepsisters. I or, could see that. Or maybe they want to go younger and they'll cast. Um, I don't know some some up and coming uh, actresses that are like yeah. in their teens. What, what, yeah, like, well, whatever the whatever the direction they take, I'm I'm sure this is going to be a hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jane Hardwell, who was um, I like who worked on the Crude, is working on this, and um, and so Ricky Lindholm is writing the script. Um, with and it looks like Kate Micucci's also uh, producing and helping out with music and such. Um, so that's that's a fun little team to have. So um, let's talk about some unfortunate blue sky news because you know as much as I'd love to say like Nimona got a new release and will be finished by this studio here, man and air. Um. Blue Sky apparently is going through some accusations of tax fraud. Yikes. Yeah, <laughs> big yikes. So apparently they received, like, they took $50 million in excess tax credits, like more than they should have for their films. Though, I guess, like, I, I, I guess I wish I was a little more uh, educated about why like what's the issue here but it, to me it just kind of sounds like they were taking more money than they should and i'm wondering now what the higher-ups were doing and i guess put on your little tinfoil hats i wonder if disney caught wind of this and this is why nimona got canceled uh that that sounds that sounds likely but um, in all honesty, it make it makes me feel even worse for the artists who poured their hearts and souls into that film, and I really don't think they. I I really don't think they should have been punished for, um, for Blue Skies, um, you know, um, kind of irresponsible um spending yeah no i don't no uh, to be clear i don't blame the artists or the animators not none at all it it sounds like this is more of a thing that the higher ups were getting themselves into and well yeah i'm wondering if this because yeah that sucks then because nimona just sounded like it was going to be a great movie and then the shutdown happened and the I'm wondering if if the if this turns out to be true or supposedly true um if that would have complicated things or it's just like why were they taking so much extra money 
like because they don't because their films don't cost like a super a huge amount they're kind of like the same ballpark as like illumination so from what i recall so and, and like just i i'm not i'm not trying to assume the you know, like um you know the atmosphere of blue sky's working environment but it it doesn't seem like this is this was done like maliciously it it's no prob- it, it's it's probably just like um it, it it's pro- it's probably just like a case of bad bad accounting that 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 got them into this mess i th- this this is this is very um it's 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 a very complex and complicated uh scenario that, see that's my problem i can't like i don't want to assume anything but i want to know what happened like what's going on and is this just someone being reckless with the money or whatever just like uh, you know it's, it, it, this is a problem because it, for as far as we know a lot of this information could be hidden behind an nda and you know how fun those are oh yeah <laughs> that, as i should know uh not that i didn't mind signing those but it's like you gotta be careful so um let's move on to some trailer reactions let's just move let's just hope to uh let's just hope the stuff with blue sky clears up and I do hope something could happen with Nimona, but who knows now. Anyway, uh, Disney and Lucasfilms released a trailer for the upcoming CGI series Star Wars The Bad Batch, which will be released on May 4th with a special 70-minute premiere episode with a then-weekly release starting, uh, starting May 7th. For anyone who might not remember, The Bad Batch follows the elite in a experimental clones of the Bad Batch and they were first introduced in the Clone Wars as they find their way in a rapidly changing galaxy in the immediate aftermath of the Clone War. Members of the Bad Batch, a unique squad of clones who vary genetically from their brothers in the clone army, each possess a singular exceptional skill that makes them extraordinary effective soldiers and a formidable crew. Um, It will be produced by Dave Filoni um, who, of course, has worked on The Mandalorian, The Clone Wars, Athena Portillo, uh, Brad Rao, and Jennifer Corbett, with uh, Carrie Beck being a co-executive producer and Josh Rimes as producer. And this looks cool. I, I think this looks like a fun series. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time catching up on the Clone Wars and and Rebels, um, just just so I have, well, you know, as a Star Wars fan, I probably shouldn't ignore the animated stuff. But like ju- judging judging this trailer on its own merits, it it just looks fun. It's and it's, it, it's something sorry. it's something unique. Um, I mean, as as you as unique as you can be in the Star Wars universe. Um, I, I, I like this, this, uh, like this ragtag, uh, team of, uh, team of clones. I, I, I love how one of them is like an obvious, uh, like an obvious homage to Rambo with his, uh, 
with his headband <laughs> and everything. Yeah, no, um, and they're all going to be voiced by D. Bradley Baker because that's yeah, that's 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 the other thing. It'll be he'll be able to flex his range a little more with this voice because like he's been one of the few like major highlights for me from what I've been rewatching of the Clone Wars, or from what I remember, because D. Bradley Baker is just a great voice actor. I'm a little worried about that little girl character that they run into. Because I guess it's like, you know, I, I've been thinking about this recently. I feel like Disney is its own worst enemy because it's like, this sounds like a much darker or a little more mature, quote unquote, series. But then they have to add a kid character. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it's like you can only go so far without, without kind of bumping into the edge of uh, like, like the, ed- the edge of the Disney wall. It's like you can make adult characters just be the stars and whatnot, but whatever. Uh, but it looks great. I'm going to try to get a screener for that first episode. So we'll have to see if I can. Uh, DreamWorks dropped a full trailer for Spirit Untamed, which will be released June 4th, a month after uh, <laughs> uh, the Bad Batch. <laughs> and it looks fine. Nothing has really changed, but I felt like we had to talk about it a little because it uh it was a full trailer and not just a an ad. Um, I liked one sequence at the end where you see the train going across the, wa- the water and the reflection of the blue skies on the bottom, and yeah, like you could that, that was cool. That was very cool, and of course the horse animation looks really impressive. I think no matter if it's two D or CGI, a horse is a pain in the butt to animate. That's always been kind of a thing. I, I forgot what the animator's name was, but <laughs> I remember he was teaching a class one day and um, a student said, can you animate or draw a horse on top of a ball, a, a, like a big rubber ball? And he was just like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, that, that's like, I think some people underestimate how tough animating certain creatures are, so... And, and that, that's that's why I give all the respect in the like in the world to um, some some someone like Glenn Glenn Keane who um, you know who did a lot of a lot of work on um, on all the Disney stuff, but part- particularly Tangled. Um, I any anytime I think of animation and horses, I think of the greatest horse of all time. Um, Maxwell. Oh, Maxwell. That he's such a great well, Tangled's just a great movie in general. And Maxwell is just so good, just so well animated, so person like full of personality. And well, I wish I had that same passion and spirit for a uh, Spirit Untamed. It just looks fine. And apparently from what I've heard some people say like their kids kind of know what the deal is more is that it's a um it's like it's like a uh oh what are they what what do i call those anime films that are just like oh they're just retelling a certain batch of episodes um, a recap film or something yeah a, re- a recap film so that kind of puts me in a little more of a like oh gosh don't do that but it does because you know we were talking about this the last time we talked about this film who is this made for? Because it's retelling a story that 
is different and it's going to have a different cast attached to it because it's a movie and you have okay to you have know what these... this you know what this reminds me of um what okay so do you do you remember the lego ninjago movie from i think 2017 yeah 17 um okay so that's that like that's that's ninjago um yeah. it has mostly the same mostly the same characters or like similar characters from apparently a very long running uh cartoon network um ninjago series yeah um but the like but the film has nothing to do with the series it's kind of, it's more just like set in the lego movie universe yeah so that that's that's kind of that's kind of um what's going on with this spirit film it's um it's not necessarily it's not necessarily a, a sequel to um like the 2002 film uh, stallion of some uh the cimarron yeah cimarron and as as you just pointed out it's it's like kind of taking the same plot of the netflix series but uh changing the voice cast and well the story a, a bit of the story from what it looks like because you know they're t- taking what would be like maybe two or so or more hours of content and putting it into like a 90 minute film. <laughs> yeah. And it looks fine. I think like for whatever budget this thing has, it looks pretty good, but it still looks like it would have been better fit for like Peacock or Netflix. Yeah. I, I, I almost like when, when news of, of this film like first broke out, I thought I thought this would be something more like the um, like the Arcadia film, which is which is going directly to Netflix. I thought it would be something more like that. Yeah. No, but, and but the trail the trailer itself looks fine. Yeah, no, the animation looks fine. It looks pretty polished for theatrical quality. I think it's just like a texture thing. Something about the hair and the lighting, and I think the designs in general look a little off. I, I give them kudos for giving us a Hispanic lead, which is sadly rare for animated films. Um, it, it's just weird because it's like you're turning off the fans of the original film, which wasn't really all that successful and had a few problematic elements. But then you're turning off the fans of the TV show because then they're going to be like, well, wait a minute, I've seen this story, but these are different characters and different voices what's going on here so it's like you're making a film for i don't want to say no one but it's just weird um i did like that one scene with the train going over the water and like the reflection of the water is the sky which like I, i full kudos that looks great but these human characters look like they're from like the puss in boots film like I don't know. They look a bit different than the humans you see in the original spirit film, but mm-hmm. whatever. I let's move on. We have a few more trailers to talk about. Um, uh, before we move, before we move any further, on a trailer we um, that wasn't in our original show notes was um, we finally get a first look at um, uh, Yasuke, uh, yeah, Yasuke, upcoming original Netflix uh, anime from from mappa 
starring Lakeith Stanfield as the tit- as the titular protagonist. Um, so in an alternate reality version of feudal Japan, reimagined with magic and advanced technology, a boatman named uh, Yasuke puts up puts his storied past as a legendary ronin known as the Black Samurai behind him. But when he encounters a girl with mysterious powers after a village is attacked by a warlord, Yasuke finds himself in the middle of a power struggle between rival Daimo, as well as dealing with dark supernatural elements as he protects the young child. Um, man, I'm, 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 I'm so happy uh, to finally get a first, a first look at, at this series. And it's coming out in like a, in a few weeks too. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, it looks great. And MAPPA is a very good studio. And this is by, again, this is by the same creator of uh, Netflix's Cannon Busters. And before I hear some knucklehead be like, well, now it's just, yeah, political progressive. Blah, blah, blah. This was based off of a real life samurai. So, shut it um and man you can't go wrong with Keith Stanfield he's so good um and now this will yeah will be premiering at the end of April <laughs> a day before Mid- the Mitchells versus the Machines yep um uh, but by, yeah, by the way the, cr- the creator is uh LaShawn Thomas and he's also done um Black Dynamite he's he's uh worked on uh, the Legend of Korra the Boondocks right. Yeah. Children of Ether. A uh, lot, of, lot of good stuff on his uh, resume. Yeah, he's a very talented guy. I, I'm always excited and ready to follow whatever he's working on. Now, uh, we finally got a actual, honest-to-God, new trailer for the Mitchells versus the Machines. <laughs> and it's going to, of course, and a release date update, which is going to come out April 30th. And... I'm super sad about that. <laughs> like, don't make me wait any longer, but I understand they want to give a little breathing room for Arlo the Alligator Boy. And, it, but it's just like, it's finally nice to see some new footage instead of going off of that one trailer over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And 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 un, unlike unlike that last trailer, this this one, um. I can't say for sure because I haven't seen the movie yet, but it feels it it feels like it has more energy to it. Yeah. Like this um Okay, so the the tit- the title of the film, The Mitchells versus the Machines, it tells you a little bit more about uh about the story than the generic one word connected. God, that's the thing with those major theatrical release films. They love their one-word titles for some reason. I guess it's a marketing thing. Um, but it, but but then again, you know, there's stuff like How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. What's wrong with putting the three in there? <laughs> um, but I I think that the title's more fitting, and I enjoyed the I, I think this trailer does a better job at telling us what kind of story this film is about. It's not about a father just going like bemoaning technology. It's a quirk, an offbeat family trying to feel connected as they take their 
their daughter to college. And it just so happens that there's a robot apocalypse. You know, that, that stuff like that happens. <laughs> um, they also in, updated the cast with, of course, they had Danny McBride, Abby Jacobson, Maya Rudolph, Olivia Coleman, Eric Andre, Doug the Pug, um, and Rianda. But then we also have Fred Armisen, Chrissy Teigen, John Legend, Charlene Yi, Conan O'Brien, Sashir Zamata, Ellie Mills, Jay Farrow, Alex Hirsch, which I'm excited about, and Griffin McElroy uh, playing in the supporting cast. And I think we already know who Chrissy Teigen and John Legend are going to be because you see them in the trailer. Yep. Um, I did love the trailer. I did love the opening gag of like the robots. They're like, there they are. There's the last humans. They're coming at us. Is that a 1993 Ford Challenger? <laughs> <laughs> and then, they're like, then they get like run over and they're like, how do we stop these unstoppable humans? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah. And I, and I loved it. Well, first of all, Olivia Coleman as the villain is great. And, um, and I, I, I just, man, I just love this show, this film's animation style. It's so gorgeous and so cartoony and different and you can't pinpoint this film looking like any other film and like that's on the market right now and that's so cool with this cgi kind of 2d combination with it it's like oh i'm frothing at the mouth just re rereading over those tweets from the uh, directors mm-hmm and uh, I think it was either uh, Lord or Miller. We're, we're talking about some of the little details and behind the scenes stuff. I'm just so excited about watching this movie. Same. I'm, man, this, th- this, whole, this whole creative team is just doing, they're like, they're, they're, they're just doing some really, really top-notch stuff uh, with uh, exp- like experimental, experimental animation, but still, um, but still telling like relatable stories, and it's also yeah, and um, I think we I think we can both agree that one of the best jokes in this trailer involves uh, a Furby. Oh God, the Furby sequence! I was a little worried about how they were going at that, and then all the Furbies like dive bombing them, and then the giant one comes out of nowhere and it says, "Let the dark harvest begin." <laughs> Oh, that's me when I see a bag of Butterfingers. So <laughs> that, that, that's me with any bag of chips. Yeah. Oh, golly. My, the place where I work has so many good chip varieties. It's that's exactly how I feel. And I, I'm just so excited for this film. Like it just, it warms my heart. It's also an original movie. It's not based off of a book or anything. Yeah. It's, and, it's, it's whole, it's wholly original which Netflix has been has been good at at that. Um, I mean, some some of their stuff is like ad- adaptations, but most of their animated content is is wholly original. Yeah, and that's unfortunately something you kind of have to fight for because otherwise you get a Space Jam, a new legacy. Speaking which of, we, yeah, <laughs> I, I figure I figure now's the time. So we got us an official release uh, trailer for Space Jam, A New Legacy, which will be coming out, I think, July 18th, from what I remember. Uh, July 16th, but... Oh, 16th, thank you. Um, and we got to see the whole plot in order of uh, LeBron 
um, and his kid getting zapped into the cyberverse. Basically, the entire database of all the IPs Warner Brothers owns. And basically, they have to, of course, like we said in the plot rundown, uh, they have to deal with an algorithm, Rhythm, played by uh, Don Cheadle. And of course, LeBron has to get in the, <laughs> the help of the Looney Tunes for a for the you know a basketball game of a lifetime. So, um, Mike, I, I'll let you go first. What did you think about this trailer? I think this trailer looks pretty pretty insane for what is obvious for what is obviously a excuse me pretty um it's it, it's it's pretty obvious that this is um warner warner animations kind of sort of answer to both ralph breaks the internet um and ready player one but also trying to be a sequel to space jam at the same time it's it's a very busy movie um, in terms of its plot, um, all of the uh, all of the cameos. It's it's kind of it's kind of nuts. Yeah, no. Um, it's there was a lot. It was almost a little too much because it's like you it it slightly in a cynical point of view. This trailer was made for all those channels on youtube that love to break down easter eggs and like frame by frame oh oh this gets As, um we're, we're we're recording this on easter sunday um and what warner brothers put out another video um this morning on youtube with 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 bugs bunny saying like you know since this is my fit since easter is my favorite holiday um let's let's uh, walk you through all of the Easter eggs from from the Space Jam trailer. So, like, <laughs> it, it's it's only a minute long, but they but they like they point out like a lot of a lot of the stuff that like all of these YouTube channels have kind of pointed out already. Yeah, I know it's like it's a little too late to the ball <laughs> on their part, but still. Um. So what do you think about the animation mix? Because we we see we finally see that there are, there's going to be some amount of the film that's going to be 2D, but then the Looney Tunes get turned into CGI and um, and LeBron gets of course turned back into a real human. So first of all, I really <laughs> like I really like the design of animated LeBron. Um, it's the, like that, that that's one of the like unique things that this that this movie is doing they're like um a i think lebron is a much better actor than michael jordan ever will be um like Le, lebron has more charisma he 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 kind of gets hollywood more um if that makes any sense he he has he has the stage presence um that just kind of, that just kind of like fits in perfectly with uh with the looney tunes yeah um so i i i liked i liked that 
Um, they actually, they actually, they actually blended him into the Toon World a lot, a lot more. Um, and I, I like, I like the two, the two D designs of, of the Looney Tunes. I, I think the designs compared to say, um, the HBO Max shorts are a little bit more generic, um, but it's they still look nice. Uh, the three the three D um, the three D models I'm I'm a little bit more mixed on. Right. Um, it's 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 kind of unfortunate that the worst like the worst character is. Uh, is granny i um i don't i don't I almost think, i don't think her design translates as as well um in 3d compared compared to the rest of them i think the cgi could have been better and i honestly think they could have maybe gotten a different team to work on this because not nothing that not like the team that made it look like it all looks bad or they didn't do a good job. But I think the animation is off. I think they needed someone like the uh like the Hotel Transylvania team. Or mm. like the people that behind been, that. That would have been awesome. I think they're miss I think what's missing is like a more snappiness to their movements because they're the Looney Tunes. They're snappy. And maybe it's just because we've been watching the new HBO Max shorts. But they feel weightier, and that just doesn't feel right to me. There, there, and, there's, there's an uncanny valley um, feel to um, like the, these models. Yeah, and it, it's just weird. It's weird because like the textures look fine, the, some of the movements look fine, but I think it needs again just some snappier stuff and. And and it's just and it's also kind of hard not to look and see like oh hey they they took the model the CGI models from Scoob, um and put it in there because you can see Blue Falcon, and how he looks from the recent Scoob film from last year. God, oh yeah, that was last year. Um, but it's like I like some of the look of some of the other film characters. Like I like the the Flintstones look pretty good and uh. The Herculoids in the background, that just made me a little happy because that was one of my favorite childhood shows. Um, that shows you how old I am because that, I remember a time when Cartoon Network played the Herculoids. Um, yeah, that, that, was, that was ages ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, it's, and it's not like I'm not having fun with some of these trailer stuff, but uh, I, I guess I need to get my thoughts out a little. I am of two minds of this. The entire team making this movie is overqualified, oh, and I kind of want overqualified is an understatement. This is—I mean, this is a really good team, and I'm curious to see what exactly comes out of this with uh, with this film and them. Like, because it seemed like Kugler was a lot more behind it, like more like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like his his. Um, his brother is is one of the credited screenwriters, and he's obviously a very hands-on producer. Yeah, and but I'm also like, this is so cynical, and maybe that's kind of the point. 
because you know the main the main villain is algae rhythm um and it's a it's a lot because it's like it's kind of a space jam sequel but it's also like them wanting to do ready player one but with all of their properties or pull a who framed roger rabbit or ralph breaks the internet kind of thing and i'm a little shocked that so many some people are like well what's wrong with not being excited for this and liking all this and it's like and not to defend disney because disney like disney flaunting all their stuff is also kind of like eh, i don't know <laughs> but it seems like if disney was doing this everyone would be so much harsher on this movie like i'm i don't understand the the defense and love and support that space jam gets and not that it, like you're dumb if you like if you like the movie like it that's fine perfectly okay no, nothing wrong with that i just i don't know something about this movie just rubbed me the wrong way when i first watched the trailer and then you have the of course the one the one cameo that everyone's like what <laughs> with the uh the clockwork orange guys <laughs> okay yeah i this this is something we need to talk about because um i don't know if it was like um if it was the last episode or a couple episodes ago we talked we talked about the story of um a scene involving pepe le pew getting cut um you know that had that had something to do it, it was like it was like address addressing um you know consent um, and yeah so it's like so you cut that scene out but you put the guys from one of the most shocking movies ever made in the it, background like yeah in in, in, I, a, in in a kid's film no less and like First off, if people haven't seen Clockwork Orange, one, don't show your kids. Absolutely do not show your kids. Two, it's actually a great movie, but it's a, it's a, it's a hard sit. Three, those characters are thugs and rapists. Like, they're not good people. So it's a little tone deaf. No, it's not a little. It's really tone deaf. So it's like... So you cut out the app, the scene where it's all about like learning and being like upfront about consent, but you keep them in the shot. Yeah, se sending very uh, mixed mixed uh, signals there. So now it's like, okay, so was the scene that got cut just not working, or is it just like, oh, like we own all these old movie properties, let's just put them in there that'll just be fun for the adult viewers who are watching this. And I just don't think kids will be watching that are like the, the target audience for this film. It's more mostly for the young parents who grew up watching the movie. Most likely. Yeah. Mo most likely. Like I'm sure kids will love this because it's Looney Tunes. Um, and then of course there's just <sighs> Warner brothers, sir loves using the iron giant imagery without a really like yeah i mean it's as everyone knows the uh original release of iron giant the movie bombed but then became like a huge hit on home video and whatnot like it became a hit afterwards and that's a shame because iron giant is one of the best animated movies of the 90s absolutely 
Um, so seeing the Iron Giant running and kind of accidentally causing some havoc is a little like, I don't know. Like, I'm not so like bent out of shape about it, but it's also like, I don't know. It, 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 see, this is the thing that I think like people would get on Disney's case with, like with the Ralph Breaks the Internet thing where it's like, oh, the oh my Disney section. Here we have the Muppets, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, Disney. And it's like, so everyone threw a fit about that sequence, but a lot of people are awfully quiet about seeing it done here. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's funny because in Ralph in Ralph breaks the internet, that whole oh my Disney section was was like it, it was basically just one one scene in the film. This this is like, and I mean to be fair, it's only a trailer, but you know this this feels like it's more of the premise than than just like one isolated scene yeah like i i think it's obvious that they're gonna put a, a lot of these sequences of just like spot all the characters near the end because this is obviously like when the basketball game is happening and so i I, it, I i hope i hope like um I, I hope this is just a case where kind of like how they marketed um, the SpongeBob movie, Sponge Out of Water, that yeah. um, like the movie itself take, um, has more time devoted to like the 2D um, animated stuff as opposed to, you know, um, the basketball game, which really should only be the climax. Yeah. But it's like, I want to be more mad about this because it's like, could you imagine the response and support that this Space Jam movie is getting if it was for something like the next film we'll be talking about, Bell, like something original and not so corporately put together? Like, I, I guess it's like, why, why is this one getting so much support and love when... Like it, 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 it feels like that kind of thing where it's like people don't really like original ideas because they're not familiar with them. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm such, I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm so divided by this trailer. I'm still probably going to watch it. I'm pro I hope it's good. It's probably going to be better because of the people behind it. But I don't know. It, it just seems like something about this movie is going to rub me the wrong way throughout the whole runtime. And um, I hate that. And I and I hate that. Tr trust trust me. I I I understand a, a lot of where your um like where your reservations are coming from. Um, one final thing I'll say before we move on is the best case scenario is that um, this movie, Space Jam: A New Legacy, is as good. Um as the lego movie was seven years ago i because hope so there, because there were there was even a lot of um there, there like there was even a lot of cynicism like back then and at this at this time lord and miller had only only had like two two other films under their belt they had cloudy with a chance of meatballs which was great and 21 mm -hmm. Jump Street, which was great. But yeah. some somehow 
somehow they're like they still had this reputation of like um of sign signing on to projects that people were doubting like like until you know until they finally saw the movie for themselves i'm i'm hoping i am hoping that this movie rises to like to that level but we'll we'll see no i hope it does and with the casting of zendaya as lola at first i was like oh i kind of wish they brought back kath sose or kristen wig as the character but i think zendaya is a good choice like i at first i think it was more just like uh they put a celebrity to their name and but i like zendaya so yeah is it Zendaya is is um she she's a good actress. I I I get exactly why she was cast in this role. She's great. Um, <laughs> um it's 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 really just I I it, it's really just my my high horse of I want to see the professional voice actors um become more like become more recognizable names no i i i get that it's just like this is going to happen with this kind of stuff so i mean like i'm in support of zendaya as lola even like it's just my nostalgia talking because it's like i i love the incarnations that kath sose and christian wig brought to the table um but we'll have to see it's just a trailer we barely know anything else outside of all the Easter eggs in it. <laughs> so for our final trailer before we get to the movies, um, let's talk about the new Mamoru Hosoda film, Bell. We finally got our first official like, universe, like international tra- trailer for the film. And let's just say the production of this film is a lot more international than you'd think it is. Because yeah. for one... You have Jen Kim, who um, worked on films from like Hercules to Frozen, and I and helped design the characters for Frozen. And of course, now that means like cool. This Disney designers work on a film uh, for Studio Chizu, um, and like and Mamoru Hosoda, you know, is just my favorite, one of my favorite animation directors. Um, and then with the announcement of like the plot and the characters and such, like what the story's about, they announced that Tom Moore and Ross Stewart of Cartoon Saloon are lending their talents to the film. And then it's like, holy macaroni. Mm-hmm. And that's not even talking about the trailer itself, which looks great. And I, I have an unhealthy obsession of watching the trailer. I've watched it like, six times today <laughs> I, I i don't i don't blame you because every every single frame of that trailer just it just looks gorgeous yeah now and this story and it's like it's picking up a lot of what like like what hasoda likes to talk about the film follows a modern 17 year old student named suzu who lives in a rural rural sorry yeah, village with her father the teen feels as as if she's been living as a shadow of herself for years until one day she logs on to the massive virtual world of you 
Amid its 5 billion users, Suzu becomes the pink-haired superstar singer Belle. When she meets a mysterious creature, Suzu slash Belle is swept up in a challenging journey on their shared quest to become who they truly are. And oh my gosh, this movie looks great. It, it just the animation, the combination of 2D and CGI is probably the best I've seen from Japan so far. And yes, if you know anything about Japan's like slow evolution of using uh, CGI, like this looks great. And uh, it, it just, it, it's a, it's like trailer making 101. I'm so pumped. And the trailer tells you everything that you kind of need to know. And it keeps enough out. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about the trailer? Um, I, I like how the trailer is a little bit, it's, it's a little bit more of a, um, it, it's pretty much the very definition of show don't tell. Um, mm-hmm. They, I, I, I think that's just a difference between like Japanese trailers and, and Western trailers that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're like, they they want to give you a taste of what of what to expect for the film, but they also don't want to give away any of the big surprises or or like any like major emotional emotional scenes. They just kind of want to they 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 just want to like 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 give you a little a little tease like and yeah they like, like they want to show you something that kind of like best represents what like um like what to expect right um and i'll i do need to confess that this is that this is my um that this will be my first exposure to um the work of mamoru hosoda um i'm i'm looking forward to uh eventually diving deeper into his filmography um like a, cu- a couple of films I'm particularly looking forward to are um, Summer Wars and um, Summer Wars and The Boy and the Beast, and of course Mirai, which is which is which is kind of how um, Hasoda and uh, and uh, Jim Jin Kim um, they like they they met they met for the first time you know at the Oscars when when Mirai was was nominated. Darn right, it was nominated. No, um, and uh, you need to watch Wolf Children. That's that's the best animated film from 2013, man. <laughs> um, and like really, all of his movies are great. Um, and I'm working on an editorial right now because I'm thinking like with Hosoda going out of his way to bring on such talents for like non-Japanese talent, like Jin. Jen Kim and uh, Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. Like, I'm wondering if this is like, he's trying to push the next step of animation collaboration, because I feel like, why not? It, it, it's not like it doesn't happen. MFKZ is a collaboration between a France uh, studio and Studio 4C. So and, it's not and like this even, stuff never happens. And, and even um, Yasu, Yasuke is... Um is a, a very a more um, 
it's a more global production too, because that's that's Studio Mappa working with um, like an American uh, showrunner. Yeah. So, I Bell might just be my most anticipated film of the year. Same. Like, and it's all and it's already been like a tough year. Um. So. Let's just um, let's move on then that's all the news we have to talk talk about and if we missed anything we'll talk about it next time so all right it's somebody it's, once told me the world was kind of roman <laughs> let's talk about shrek yes Ready? let's <laughs> let's do this so little context of course most everyone probably knows about shrek the big studio uh, animated series that launched DreamWorks into the spotlight. And we're going to start, of course, chronologically. We're going to start with the first film, which was released in 2001. So here's a, let's get some historical context of why this was such a big hit. Because I feel like due to the whole meme status that Shrek has been put into, people have really diluted how important this film is like into into film and animation in general mm-hmm. because it because it's not like the b movie because nobody cares about the b movie it just became a funny way to have memes shrek is actually important to the animation scene how how, f- how far back do you want to go um let, let's just go back to 2001 let's just build a time period like a time capsule of what animation was going through Disney was going through a bit of a rough spot because this was right after the Disney Renaissance and they were, they were struggling to find their, their footing after like some films that didn't really succeed like Pocahontas. And then there was some mixed response of films like Hercules and the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And even though they had some good films like Mulan and Tarzan, it, it was like they were starting to slip a little. And that's when like DreamWorks was slowly starting to come into the fray because this was like around, and this was also around when Pixar was starting to pick up steam. Because now we go into 2001. What movies were released in 2001? Well, we have Jimmy Neutron. We have Final Fantasy, The Spirit Within, Osmosis Jones. Uh, Waking Life, which is a great movie. Uh, Disney's Atlantis, The Lost Empire, was, and uh, Recess Schools Out. And then Pixar was, released uh, Monsters, Inc. Th- this very year. And not that DreamWorks was not doing well, but it's like after Ants and uh, The Prince of Egypt... The road to El Dorado didn't do well. Yeah, that 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 one um, that one ate shit at the box office to put to put it lightly. Yeah. So then comes this movie that, like for the time, was unique and different from what we were getting in terms of animation. DreamWorks was ready to put down a fantasy parody comedy, basically ripping into fairy tale stories, the stuff that uh, Disney 
made their whole identity based on. Eh, let's back up. Let's back up a little bit further um, because there's a man. There, there's a man who's kind of crucial to DreamWorks's history. Um, we need to talk about Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yes, he was the guy in charge of Disney during the '90s, and then a few years into it, Roy Disney was not happy about what uh, Katzenberg was doing with the company. And basically forced him out, and a huge, ugly lawsuit happened. And then Jeffrey Katzenberg teamed up with Steven Spielberg and uh, uh, David Geffen, and yeah, um, and took all that bitter, petty vitriol, and started their own studio. And that that included Ants, their first film, which which did well, and. I don't think ages as well as a bug's life. Um, and not just because like, I like, yeah, the wood, the Woody Allen of it all. Yeah. Oish. Um, and then the Prince of Egypt comes out and well, that's a, just a great movie. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and then the road to El Dorado happens and something was just not working with DreamWorks. So they were still trying to find their footing. And this Shrek film that they were working on has been in development for years at this point. They were trying to figure out how to approach the story after Spielberg bought the rights. And then, of course, multiple people were going through the roles that like, and they were offered to like people like Nicolas Cage. Can you imagine a Nicolas Cage Shrek? That, that, would, that would have been weird. Oh, so weird. And then Chris Farley of SNL fame was going to voice the character and then he unfortunately passed away which um and then the footage was left was lost in time until a few storyboards and recordings made it made it online and it actually sounded pretty good like all things considered like i think chris farley would have done a pretty good job but unfortunately because he passed away they had to start over again because it was like uh, and i'm oversimplifying these things there's i'm sure there are videos and articles going over the detail, the finer details of this way more. And then they release Shrek into the wild with Mike Myers as the titular character, another SNL alum. And it became a smash hit. It was a huge film. And considering all things considered, it's amazing that it took home the first academy award for best animated feature the very first one beating out jimmy neutron and monsters inc they beat out disney at the at the very first um the very first oscar um that featured best the best animated film that's that that's an important uh piece of trivia that shouldn't shouldn't uh, be overlooked it's amazing that like this film one film took the world by storm it was a monstrous hit and it was even like in last year was put into the preservation in the national film registry which some people were like huh why why and it's like do you not know how big this film was (laughs) it sounds like they don't uh and well let's talk about a little like let's talk about the film actually 
because now we just got all the history stuff out of the way. So the first film is about Shrek, a big antisocial ogre who just doesn't want to be bothered. He wants to be left alone. And unfortunately, one day he gets like caught in the middle of this prince or lord of the king of the kingdom trying to evict and basically imprison all fairy tale creatures. And that's where Shrek runs into a talking donkey voiced by Eddie Murphy. And after dealing with some of these characters from fairy tale stories, he just wants them off his swamp. And he decides to go to the Lord, Lord Farquaad. <laughs> that name. <laughs> yep. Voiced by John Lithgow. Um, and once he gets there and, of course, beats up all the knights in a very amusing wrestling sequence, um, Farquaad gives him a deal. He wants Shrek to go save this princess, Princess Fiona, voiced by Cameron Diaz. Man, that's 2000s. Um, and, um, and they do. They, get at, they go into the castle where she's being held and uh, avoid the dragon that's guarding the place and make it out. And as they try to return to Lord Farquaad's kingdom, uh, 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 Fiona doesn't want Shrek to find out about a, something about her. And they bond along the way. So, Mike, re-watching this film, like, what were you thinking before watching it and now after watching it? Um, so before, before re-watching it, this, the first Shrek was a movie that I owned on VHS and I've seen, I've seen a number of times. Um, you know, I, I liked it well, well enough, um, back then. Um, I, I've always kind of liked the, you know, like the, like the growing bond between Shrek and Donkey. And I think the romance between um shrek and fiona is um honestly some like some of the best and most like natural um romances that we've seen in any sort of animated fairy tale um i i, I think i think the story um like with the first like the first film is like it 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 holds up um and after i after this rewatch which was probably the first time in like 10 15 years that i had seen the film like start to finish it holds up a lot better than um you know than i may have originally given it credit for and yet given katzenberg's history it still it still feels like kind of weighed down in cynicism only because I'm like very aware of of its history but the the stuff the stuff that works really works I think that is the overall problem with the first film because it promises this big bombastic fantasy teardown of fairy tale stories and tropes and it does, but it comes off like a lot of those Shrek uh, wannabes 
uh, from like that you would find in more recent years, like uh, Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves and Charming, where it just doesn't go far enough with it. But I let, but um, but I still overall really enjoyed it. I think it actually has a really good story and character dynamics. I just think it works a little better as a drama than a comedy, even though it's funny. But it's not like what we will get into later with Shrek 2. Um, but let, I want to talk a little bit about the animation first. First off, for a film that was still like when CGI was still getting, like everyone was still getting used to it, Shrek still holds up in a lot of ways that I think some films like Toy Story are starting to show their age. Yeah, and I, think, I think I think 2000 um by by this time um like in the in the u.s we we've um we we've gotten we've gotten to we, we've gotten to a pretty comfortable point in uh in cgi where um like where some like some of the more human like humanoid characters feel like they they, they feel a little less uncanny valley um and like you're start you're starting to see more you're starting to see more details in like the hair and um my favorite thing the water um and all all of the scenes in um in the dragon's keep um look amazing yeah and i think for dreamworks for all the faults and turmoil they'll go through in the next few decades i think they were able to get humans down first like i know like you could say that toy story did and then the incredibles did it like is the one that perfected it but i think shrek kind of deserves a lot more credit because they were able to make humanoid figures like humans like pretty realistic looking to a degree humans and then not look creepy like I sure Lord Farquaad is a little more cartoonish looking because and, I, I mean and if you if you if you really take a look at his um like um uh, his design like he they, they they really went out of their way to um to make him resemble Michael Eisner oh obviously I mean that's that like a lot of this film's interesting history and like the comedy behind it is really drenched into how angry Jeffrey Katzenberg was for getting fired at Disney. <laughs> so the, that's why a lot of this film's humor is really cynical and mean-spirited. Like, especially with the first joke of Shrek using a piece of a fairy tale book, store, uh, like storybook, as toilet paper. <laughs> and of course, the, uh, the It's a Small World After All parody when they get to uh, the kingdom which is still really funny, but that's also because it's a small world after all is not good. <laughs> um, even for back then. And uh, like the humans look good. Like the running is a little off, like that's starting to show its age, but they still looked good. And I think like Shrek doesn't look too out of place or Fiona doesn't look too out of place, um, especially when they do so into more cartoonier stuff, like when they encounter Robin Hood um in the king in the in the forest later on um mm-hmm. 
and I think Donkey looks good still. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a lot of this film's humor is very mean, and not in like like I mean, it sometimes works. Like I love like the sequence where Farquaad is talking to the magic mirror from Snow White, and it's like, who's the greatest lord king of all the land? It's like, well, technically, sir, you're a prince still. Otis, or Odious, or whatever the henchman's name is, and they pull out the mirror, a tiny mirror, and then he punches it. <laughs> <laughs> um, or like what they do with the gingerbread man is still very funny, and even though it's like, I'm sure some of the jokes about Farquaad's height don't age well, but I still love it. Like when he's walking into the torture chamber, and I still like, and he's still like, <laughs> and he snaps his fingers, and they lower the table. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, I love I love visual gags like that. Like just just the just the tiniest touches like that um make me laugh more more so than some of like the more obvious stuff. Yeah, no, like I, I still think one of the best dark jokes of the film is when Fiona's doing the whole like uh Snow White routine of singing and then singing to a bird. And she sings so high pitched that the bird explodes. <laughs> And, and, then, then, and then and then she cooks the eggs for breakfast. Oh, that's such a great joke. And and I love the uh I mean I and I love just the, the scene like when you're when Shrek deals with the intruders and he's and he tells us like, nah, that those are giants. Now ogres, they are much worse. They peel your skin and then squeeze the jelly out of your eyeballs. Uh, like this or yeah, squeezes the jelly out of your eyeballs. I heard it's good on toast too and then does roar and he's like this is the part where you're supposed to run <laughs> and i think like even though i pro i wish we could have seen the version with chris farley um like what do you think about mike myers taking over as shrek because now it's like it's his character uh, on honestly um like i i can i can no longer separate um Myers's performance from the character I'm I I I think I might have heard like um a clip or two of um what Chris Farley would have sounded like as Shrek but um like but just the, the, the reality is you you can't separate um Mike Myers from the character no and um what did you think about Donkey because he, like, that was also a big selling point. Because this this film kind of helped shoot Eddie Murphy back into the limelight as well. Like it kept him out, like back in after a few duds and such. Like after, like that it, that that area in between the Nutty Professor and then everything else. <laughs> um, Ed, Eddie Eddie Murphy is consistently great in all in all four films. Um, in 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 this one. Um, he does come off a little bit annoying at first, but I, I think, I think as the film progresses, um, like he, like his, his relationship with Shrek, um, improves a lot and, you know, he's, he's actually more of the voice of reason as, as we, as we learn moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is smart because I think that was kind of the joke at first was that like donkey was supposed to be way too obnoxious for his own good and i liked shrek in this movie like i don't like i think 
his character and his progress his development was handled well like i loved when uh shrek was like donkey was talking to shrek and shrek was like trying to get to donkey saying like like because donkey was like why didn't you just eat everyone there and he's just like well ogres are they're like onions in that whole bit um it's like we have layers there's more to us than you think um and like like i think they and like the big dramatic like i like i like how he goes from just kind of being like uh i really don't want to do this but i want my swamp back to kind of giving uh princess fiona like like shenanigans because of how she was like but what about my true like brave knights and it's just like they're like okay (laughs) (laughs) like they're just like they broke out in laughter like uh and then when of course like i think the best scene was with shrek talking to donkey saying like how people just keep think like judging him on his outside instead of his inside and I and I think that's that scene is great. I think it's really well done and kind of shows that Mike Myers does have range when he is given the the proper direction. Mm-hmm. I I think I think the like the thing about Shrek's arc in the first film is, um, I I I think it 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 becomes a little bit more relatable as as you get older, um, you know. Because that's, and and especially especially in like the in the age of social media, where like, you know, pe- people people have all sorts of, like they'll have all sorts of opinions about you before, uh, before ever getting to know you, like si- simply because of like, you know the like the most shallow, you know the most shallow stuff. Yeah, and no, and it and it, it's very touching, and it's just like, like it kind of works with Fiona as well. Though it's like it, it is kind of interesting to see her throughout the film start as like this starry-eyed hopeful of getting the proper fairy tale rescue, just kind of gets shot down constantly, <laughs> and then kind of become more of who she actually is. And I and I think that's very smart. I think it's very clever. But I do kind of think part of the igniting point of the third act is the weakest part of the film. Oh, you mean you mean like where where they have they have to kind of do like that misun that misunderstanding of of you know Shrek Shrek over overhears like the worst the worst part of uh, of Fiona's conversation with Donkey. Yeah, and this is when at the well, of course spoilers, but spoilers for a twenty-year-old movie. Come on, people. Um, that Fiona's curse is that at night she turns into an ogre, and it's not like I guess I just wish there was a better point or a better igniting point because I like the third act in general, but I do think like the third act of the film is the weakest part, even though it has a really good message at the end. Mm-hmm. Also, also, like I, um, I, I picked this up recently, but the like the sequence at the end of the film where um, where Fiona kind of like um, transforms into you know her true self, 
that that's a direct lift from Beauty and the Beast. Like the way, right. like the way her like her body lifts up and the lights are all um, shooting out of her body and such. And yep, that's that's a direct lift from Beauty and the Beast. And I think the way they executed that is just perfect. Yeah, I think it's all very well executed and like and i know some people kind of get on this film for its pop culture stuff but there there was not there were like again shrek was so unique it was like oh my god oh my gosh this film's making like the a matrix reference and all this stuff and like it, it it's it's a very interesting time capsule of kind of like what shrek would become later on or just like the the struggling evolution of the franchise let's just say i think let's call it that um that's fair but i think this film holds up overall i think overall it's pretty great i lord farquaad gets probably some of the best laughs and i do love that dark joke that the mama bear from the three three bears is a rug (laughs) (laughs) um i think that's delightfully dark and um, I not, and this is of course like before we were introduced to all like the the reoccurring side characters like Pinocchio, the three pigs, the blind mice, and uh, the wolf. Um, and I I do love um, oh, what was it? Oh yeah, when the pigs were like, like Lord Farquaad kicked us out. He huffed and he puffed and gave us an eviction notice. <laughs> um. No, and like I, and then of course Shrek was probably the originator for the big dance sequence at the end of the film, like at the end of a lot of animated films. Yeah. But again, the, like the Smash Mouth references and such, like again, it's hard. Like I know it sounds kind of weird. That I'm kind of hammering in how important this film is, but I, I think the internet in today's age has really just buried how influential and innovative this film was because for a while a lot of animated studios were like well let's make a shrek Mm -hmm. like there there are still shrek parody like wannabes coming out today or they're taking like a cue from shrek and it's like this film like for for its faults for whatever doesn't hold up and what doesn't age because of the behind the scenes drama of who who was making the film like you can't downplay that um yeah i i i agree um as as much as as much as like um the internet has um has memed this this character and this franchise to death um you know take take some time and 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 rewatch that first that first film and you'll um you'll you'll be you'll be surprised how how much like the story and the characters still hold up yeah and and like i just think like because at first i was like i don't know maybe it doesn't age well but then rewatching it it's like no it actually holds up very well i think there are some films that don't hold up as we uh, go into it, but uh, like I, I think it, it's. I still think it's a pretty good movie. I, I don't think it was better than Monsters Inc. 
because I think Monsters Inc. was just great. Um, like, but um, I mean, I mean, what do you? I mean, like, what do you think? Like, would you say like it deserved it? It's win over uh, Monsters Inc. Um, that's that's tough. I mean, yes, I think Monsters Inc. is a um is an overall better film, but um I I I think Shrek. Shrek, Shrek has has had a more um, it was more impactful. Yeah, um, and I I I think that's that's why that's why it earned its um, its Academy Award win. Yeah, and it also earned like uh, like it won a lot of the awards at the Annies also. So it's it like. You can't really, like I said, you can't downplay the the impact this film had. Like, so. oh, by by the way, one one other thing before we move on to Shrek Two, um, the original Shrek was the first animated film since Disney's Peter Pan, um, to compete for the Palme d'Or at at um, at the two thousand one uh, uh, Cannes Film Festival. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine that? All the stuff that goes at the Cannes Film Festival, usually like that's when you see films like Parasite and what have you. Yeah, and then here so... comes Shrek. <laughs> like it's so, it's just so cool to read up about that kind of stuff. Uh, okay, actually one, one last thing I want to I mention um, before we move on to, to Shrek 2. Um, the score by Henry Gregson Williams and John Powell is truly, truly amazing. Um, I've, I've been going down this rabbit hole, um, looking up um, a, lot of, a lot of the composers who have worked on DreamWorks films. And to my surprise, like all of them, except for maybe like a couple, a couple of films have all been um, composed by um, uh, by people affiliated with Hans Zimmer's uh, group, Remote Controls Production, um, and you know they they've worked with some of the best composers in the industry, and um, you know one one of the most one of the most iconic um, scores is uh, like the um, the Shrek theme, um, Prin- Princess Fiona's scene with the. Uh, with the exploding bird. Oh, that do 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 do. It's 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 really the DreamWorks theme now. But. Yep, yep. So let's um, go on to 2004. So Shrek. So a few things have changed now. Disney released what was at a, at the time its last 2D animated film with Home on the Range. DreamWorks was still kind of struggling with what kind of studio they wanted to be because this was like they released uh, Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, and uh, Sinbad, which they didn't do too well. And then they also released Shark Tale in 2004, Mm. the worst film they've made. And then like Paramount was finding success with the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. 
Pixar put out what is probably their most loved film, The Incredibles. And Satoshi Kon, uh, may he rest in peace, um, put out Tokyo Godfathers. It wasn't a hugely eventful animated uh, year, but this was also like a few years after like Blue Sky Studios put their name on a scene with Ice Age. But then here comes Shrek 2, which is usually considered the best film in the franchise. So, Mike, after rewatching it again, what what are your thoughts before and after watching it? Watching it, um, I I I have always been of the mindset that, like, I've always been of the opinion that that Shrek Two is is the peak of this franchise. It's it's like the cream of the crop. One of the like, um you know, one of the funniest animated films, um, one of the best comedies, animated or otherwise. Um, and I, I, I still feel that way about, about 95% of this movie. Um, I, I, still, I still like get a kick out of all of the great um, like visual gags in this, in this film. I think it takes it takes the whole fairy tale, um, like the whole fairy tale parodies. Um, it takes everything up to eleven. Like this, 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 this feels like this feels this feels like the movie um, that we all kind of expected the first Shrek to be. Um, but it, but it, but it, like. Um, it, it it like it er we 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 need we needed the first the first one to like to like warm up to to this to this movie um now i i said this movie holds up 95% the 5% that doesn't and again this has less to do with his performance and more just the fact that some of the comments he's made are a little bit off-putting, to put it lightly. Yeah. Um, John Cleese is the voice of um, Fiona's father, King Harold. Um. And I, I still, I still think he's, you know, he he deliver he delivers a very like a very funny performance. Um. It's it's also kind of cool that Julie Andrews is um, Queen Lillian, right? Like Julie Andrews is like a Disney a Disney legend because you know she's Mary Poppins and um, and she's also in the Princess Diaries movies, right? No, this was like, I mean, it was it was it's also kind of amusing. Like if you remember from the first film, Jim Cummings, who was like a Disney staple for decades. Oh he oh yeah he's he's one of he's one of the uh the guards. Yeah, he is. So so yeah, it's like I think once the first film got all of its toxic petty behind the scenes thing dealt with, it was able to fully thrive more. Like it was able to be what it actually wanted to be and actually have fun with the jokes and jabs at pop culture and fairy tales parodies. 
and I still get a huge kick out of like Prince Charming, like doing the whole thing, like retelling or you know reenacting the whole uh, story from the fir- from the first film in the book, like of mm-hmm. like the prince making his way to the castle, and then the wolf from Red Riding Hood is there instead. <laughs> and I love like when Shrek and Fiona are on the beach and they're kissing, and then when they get hit by a wave. Uh, Shrek is kissing uh, Ariel from The Little Mermaid, and yep. Fiona just tosses her back into the water, and you see like sharks get at her. <laughs> like, like they 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 really they really um up the ante with the with like the darker humor in this one. Well, and it's just like they do creative things, like call like the Hollywood sign is far far away, and it's like and 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 the and the seedy like the seedy dive bar where all the villains hang out is called the poison apple and uh like the ugly stepsister is a bartender there captain hooks a piano player in the bar which that's already a great joke that they expanded on and tangled <laughs> because because you know that i think that was like the first time you see like a character of a hook do a good job playing the piano mm-hmm. and there's like little stuff like uh seeing the headless horseman uh, drinking or uh, like they, they do a lot of good jokes like in the foreground and the background by by, but, the, by the way that's that's Larry King is the voice of of Doris may he rest in peace yeah now uh, I want to talk a little bit about that when we uh, get a little further into this um and then um like and like or like when uh donkey kind of gets told like gets like between the line right gets a read between the lines moment of like shrek wants him to be out of there and then uh he turns out like hey shrek and then shrek drops fiona accidentally and it's like donkey i want you to be out of here okay well what should i tell these guys and then the trumpeters and such are making oh. like the big like entrance and then the one at the end does uh, the hawaii Five O theme <laughs> and then it gets whacked it's like enough reggie <laughs> like this is such a funny movie and like i love like the little gags like uh when they're all having dinner at the castle like you see all the forks and there's one that looks like a like a comb with a spoon at the bottom because Uh-oh. you know yep. it, it's just a small joke but i just love little details like that or like uh the little picture of sir justin which is a parody of justin timberlake <laughs> or like and then, of course, we can't talk about Shrek 2 without it introducing probably the most popular side character out of any DreamWorks film. Sir, uh, Antonio Banderas as Puss, Puss in, boots. in Boots. Like, the, a character so popular that he got his own spinoff film. There's a sequel coming out, like we said, and a Netflix series. A six-season Netflix series. Good lord, <laughs> that way to milk, milk that character, who is just like a great play on just like, oh, you need a hitman, but then they, uh, so you get Puss in Boots, and oh man, like this, like the film's already funny, but then they add like, let's do this, and it, like, like I said, it takes full advantage of the fantasy setting. I love the fact that they make fun of cops. With oh, the that, um, I I didn't I I didn't remember that scene when I when I first saw the film. So watch it watching that now, and you know, 
with everything yeah. going on. Yeah, with, with everything going on, it made that scene so much funnier. It is, and I love like the pepper spray. It's like a pepper grinder, and <laughs> and then of course it's like, hey, what's this? And it's a ba- little bag of catnip, and Puss is like, oh, that's, uh, not- I, I, that's not mine. I was holding that for a friend. I mean, I, again, but it's like, it, it's like, it, it's just so interesting. Interesting how some of these jokes hold up, and then of course there's the whole parody of Mission Impossible later on, and I love that one of the three blind mice fails to light the fuse because of obvious reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and, um, another, another gag is um, like, you know, what, what, once they actually go in to break out uh, like the trio, um, Sh- Shrek is like, um, Pinocchio, tell, tell a lie. Say like, I don't know, I'm wearing women's underwear. <laughs> Oh gosh. And then he's like, Oh, okay. Um, I'm wearing ladies underwear. And then it's like, there's an awkward silence and it's like, well, are you? (laughs) Oh, oh gosh. And of course we can't talk about this film again without bringing up the probably maybe DreamWorks best villain with Oh, uh, the fairy godmother. But yeah. Voiced by Jennifer Saunders, who is just the scene stealer absolutely of the the entire film and i love like how she comes up to the king and gets her into a gets him into a flying limo and then it looks like she's about to like basically give him a pair of cement shoes and toss him down the river and it's just like it's like i'm gonna do something that i didn't want to do and then it turns out that they're at a (laughs) drive-thru and it's a and it's a play on a because at first i was like is it a Burger King parody? No, no, it's a Fat Boys or Big Boys uh, parody because it's called Friar Tucks and the little statue at the end. Oh, that's um, that's that's a deep cut. That's a very deep cut if you know your burger joints. And I, and I love that the toy that they get is an axe. <laughs> <laughs> but and then of course the big uh, well, like the twist of this film is that like. The king wants Shrek gone, so uh, Fiona can marry Prince Charming, who happens to be the son of the fairy godmother, which all great connections and such there. And then, like when Shre- and, like Shrek goes to the fairy godmother's basically potion factory to uh, get like something to make him more appealing, and this is, I think, what also works about the film. It takes a huge risk by basically taking the ogre version of Shrek out of the film for, like, a good chunk of the film. I, I'd, I'd say about, about like, 75% of the film, um, Shrek, as we know him, is not, is not in it. Yeah, no, he, he's a human because he takes his potion, and, of course, since Donkey drank the potion, he turns into a stallion which is just great. And I love that scene when he comes back to Fiona, who also turned back to a human because of the potion side effects. And he's just like, he's like, Fiona, Fiona, Shrek and I drank a potion and now, now we're both sexy. And then she looks at the top, like on top of a donkey and there's Puss in Boots. (laughs) And then she's like, Shrek? And he looks at her while he's like interrupted, like of him licking himself. And he's like, for you, dear, I will be anything. (laughs) <laughs> like like and 
I like the human design for Shrek. It's kind of interesting to see like what would Shrek look like as a human. And it's just, man, this, this film is so good. And then of course the big climactic battle with uh, Jennifer Saunders singing I Need a Hero, which is everyone's basically favorite version of the song now, which basically eclipses the original. Yep. <laughs> I wonder how the original writer of that song feels <laughs> about that. And, and uh, but, well, it's great. And it's also kind of like DreamWorks is starting to get into some, like trying to work in like, how can we do action set pieces better? And because this, again, this is not like this is way before they do like kung fu panda and how to train your dragon like they're still kind of working things out and this was of course before no wait the same year that the incredibles comes out and i think i think the incredibles came out in uh november or or was it june i i i know this i know this one came out first uh let me see um uh november okay that, that yeah sense. i thought that, so that, that makes sense and it like it all handles up well and like the humans still look good and like they've aged pretty well from the second film i i still get a huge kick out of the uh the red carpet scene where thumbelina uh, thumbelina and tom thumb get put <laughs> swept up by a trash bin <laughs> and then they're like and then of course a great cameo by joan river at least in the u.s version it was joan river's yeah, like oh my gosh, they're Sleeping Beauty, and Sleeping Beauty just falls slam onto the onto the floor. <laughs> like this is such a great movie. This is like the like I like like, and this was like before DreamWorks got into a better flow of how to make sequels. Like because this was like I think their first time making a sequel, and they hit it out of the park. And I think that's the, a lot this, of that. This was their very first sequel. And I think it, a lot of it does help that they had the late great Kelly Asbury along with Conrad Vernon and Andrew Adamson. <clears throat> and I think the screenplay by Andrew and Joe Stillman and J. David Stir- um, Stem and David N. Weiss like helped because they were able to have a little more fun with the setting and gimmicks and such. Like I don't really have any complaints outside of the fact that the film does age poorly just because of John Cleese and his more recent actions and words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other, you- other other than other than Cleese, um, and the and the only reason why that's such a big deal is because um, a lot of King Harold's arc is, you know, getting getting over his prejudice not o- not only for Shrek himself, but you know the whole backstory with princess fiona is you know it was their parents or like it was her parents that locked her in the tower yeah because, and, because of because of the curse yeah and yeah no so it's like it it, it like though that part's the only part that i would say like is starting to show its age but otherwise this is just a darn good movie like and Shrek 2 also p- competed at the Palm Dior at the Cannes Film Festival <laughs> which is fun which is really funny and it almost broke a billion dollars worldwide it was yep. just short and it, I mean this might possibly be because of some re-releases and such but this was a huge hit 
and it was like it's like man DreamWorks is on a roll they finally found their stride but let's move to 2007 uh yeah we have to talk about it so 2007 uh Disney's trying to make do CGI films like Meet the Robinsons um DC and Warner Brothers are starting their direct-to-video films with Superman Doomsday. Uh, Sony stepped into the ring with their first critically acclaimed film with Surf's Up. Pixar put out their second uh, Brad Bird collaboration with Ratatouille. Satoshi Kon's uh, final film, Paprika, gets a U.S. release in 2007. And Mamana Hosoda puts out his first film, uh, like his first original film, The Girl Who Left Through Time. And this is also when we got like Tenkankin Creed. This was like when foreign animation was slowly starting to bleed into the mainstream. Yeah, around, then, around, around this time, um, otaku culture was, was really starting to bleed into, um, you know, into the West. Like, I'd say, I'd say like, um, like two, 2007 to like 2008 or 2009 um, was when a- anime was getting, um, a- and anime was start, was starting to, was starting to blow up more. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, DreamWorks didn't have the best critical year. Because this was the year they released B-Movie, which, of course, now has, like, a cult following because of memes. And, unfortunately, they dropped in quality with Shrek the Third. Okay. Uh, Mike, have you seen Shrek the Third before? Honestly, I... I I don't think I ever saw it, like, start to finish. I might have... I might have seen like parts parts of it. Um, I okay. I'll say this: I did not see this movie in theaters. Me um, I I I would have only watched it on like on video on demand. Um, well after the fact. Um, and again, if if it. If it was not um, start to finish, it was like, you know, little chunks whenever it was on TV. Right. So this was the first time that I actually sat down, watched it from start to finish. And I'll say that, I'll say this much. Um, I didn't hate it, but compared to some of the direct that I've, subjected myself to in recent years um this like this like gets um like on a on a scale from one to five this is like just barely it's 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 like a week a week two and a half this is i think the worst film in the franchise and one of dreamworks's worst films it it sits at the very bottom of my best to worst animated films of 2007. <laughs> and as much as I don't like the terms cash grab, because I feel like, well, every movie game made wants to make money. 
doesn't matter how artistic driven it is or how corporate driven it is. Every movie wants to make cash. So yeah, I don't it's, get it's, it. It's, it's called show business. Yeah. With all that said, this one does feel like they made it because the original was a gigantic hit. The franchise was still kind of strong, but this was like years after like they had films like, uh, like Madagascar come into play and Pixar kind of had their first stumble with cars like a year or two earlier. And it's just like, it's, it's interesting because I feel like this was like their first real failure after, uh, after Shark Tale. And it, I mean, and I mean, critical failure, it was a financial hit, but it still made less money than uh, the second film did overall, because the first film made overall 913 million, while Shrek the third only made 18, uh, 813 million. That's, that's, so, that's, that's still a lot of money, but it's, yeah, it, it is a step down. It is a step down. And that's a lot of, a lot of that is because the story's not very good. Because now we have Shrek um, happily married to Fiona. Uh, the king dies in a very just not funny scene. It's, and I, I, I think um, Her- Harold's death is it's one of the most tone deaf um, scenes in the movie, sure, but the franchise as a whole. It just, it's not funny, but it wants to be funny. And it's like, I'm not, this isn't, fu- this isn't a funny thing. And it's like, it wants us to be like sad about it, but it also wants us to laugh. It, it doesn't work. So Shrek doesn't really want to have the responsibility of being king. So he goes off on a journey to find the next heir, who is um, Arthur, voiced by Justin Timberlake. But as he leaves to go on that journey, Prince Charming comes back to take revenge on the kingdom to kidnap the princesses. And Fiona is also pregnant. And so there's like a a very mixed tone and theme of like this whole film. And a lot of the themes like Shrek worrying about being a father and such. This might be harsh to say, but this film sounds like a direct-to-video film. Because it doesn't really know how to progress the story from point A to point B. For start, for starters, I think it's really lazy that um, they couldn't come up with they couldn't come up with a new a new villain um, to you know I don't, I don't know I'm. I'm I'm trying to find a positive way to spin, um, you know, bringing back Prince Charming to like exact his revenge, but I don't know the way the like the the way it's executed, it comes off as like he's o- he's only there because because they couldn't think of anyone else to fill that role. It, and it's weird because it's like you're bringing back half of the villains, but Prince Charming worked well because he was a, the spoiled brat son of the fairy godmother and he just doesn't work as a lead villain he's very 
uninteresting and boring. And at least Farquaad, for as cynically made as he was, had a better realization as a villain and such. Just a petty, cynical individual. And here you just get this the less good half of the fairy godmother duo. (laughs) And I would forgive this story being a mess if it was funny. And something happened between this film and the, the second film because it's not funny. I found myself not laughing at all. Or not at all, but just very little. Um, well, one thing that happened is, at least to my knowledge, they got like all new writers. Yeah, Jeffrey Price, Peter St. Seaman, Chris Miller, who is also the director, and Aaron Warner. And it just feels like they were trying to recapture some of that magic, but then, but they didn't know what to do. And I was kind of interested to see how they would do high school or college. Like a setting when they go find uh, Arthur Pendragon. But then it's like, they don't, they waste the jokes there. I don't remember any of them. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't think they, I don't think they spent enough time. Um, you know what, that's it. I, I don't, I don't think they spent enough time um, de- like developing um some of the new the newer characters so that like when when we meet them for the first time um they just kind of come off they 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 come off as as sort of like shallow parodies without without really getting to know them um as people why not a sad thing about the writers hmm Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman wrote the screenplay for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, that's that just goes to show you not not everything on your resume is going to be uh, is going to be shiny gold. Yeah, it it just seemed like this film didn't didn't really know where to take the comedy, and I mean, I I and then they do stuff like to bring back Larry King as the uh, ugly stepsister and I don't know how well this character ages in terms of like today's climate and whatnot of LGBT transgender stuff. Um, I'm going to say it ages like sour milk. I mean, like, I mean, we'll have to see if anybody want, from that community wants to tell us about this kind of thing, like tell us what you think about the character. Tell us. I'd lo- I'd actually like to hear. Um, and then they do, and and but then they try to actually remake that joke because they go back to the the poison apple, and the other stepsister is there, who's voiced, voiced by, by uh, Regis Philbin, and it's just like, why would you do that? And then you got stuff like, like all this celebrity casting, like, I think Arthur is at, at like with Justin Timberlake is fine. There are a few lines that are kind of funny, but I don't think Arthur's all that interesting of a character because we've seen this kind of character before because it's like, oh, he's at his low. Well, 
but we've seen that with Sword in the Stone and other stories. Like we've seen the Arthur rising up to the occasion story bits, like arcs. And then we have like, uh, then of course we have the. Then they run into Merlin, who's voiced by Eric Idle, who I think is the only one who gets a few laughs. Like I, I mean, I, I love, yeah. I liked his character, but some of the problems with him also come into play with like, like the, a, a plot twist happens where Merlin accidentally swaps Donkey and Puss in Boots bodies, which is like I, okay, that's that's like that that's that's like low-hanging fruit when it comes to comedy and it's all it's kind of funny at points but we've seen this joke before and it doesn't do anything for the story and then it's like the casting of the the princesses like we have cinderella as amy's like voiced by amy sedaris you have rapunzel uh voiced by the always great maya rudolph and then you have snow white who's voiced by amy poehler by the way, Amy Poehler does a great job of copying the Disney Snow White singing voice. Oh my God, she does. I I actually thought for a second that um, when she was singing that that was like some like, sort of archived uh, recording, but nope. No, that's her. And then uh, Sleeping Beauty's voice by Sherry O'Terry, who... Like we've, I don't know. It, it always seems like Sleeping Beauty has only one joke to her is that she's constantly sleepy. Mm, yeah. And and it, and like you have to kind of start keep working that angle of like how can you make this funny? Like the second film, she just falls out asleep out of her carriage, or like in I can't believe we're gonna make a pos- I'm gonna make a positive reference to this. Uh, charming, when the person painting her portrait's like, oh god dang it, hold on. Like wake up, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, oh, oh sorry." <laughs> Falls back asleep, <laughs> and like some of this stuff could be funny, and like I like some of the casting, like uh, Ian McShane as Captain Hook. Uh, for some reason, the ship captain at the beginning is voiced by Seth Rogen, because yeah, because. But I like the evil trees, like. Um, uh, that are voiced by like uh, Christopher Knights and Andrew Birch and uh, Walt Dorn who would later go on to direct uh, the Trolls films uh, voices the evil knight that you see and uh, it's like there's so much potential here and they almost do something with the different princesses but then it's like again they don't take it far enough like this feels like like a red shoes and the seven dwarves or a charming situation with this film a lot of fun ideas not taken far enough um yeah i i agree with that i think i think all three of these films are kind of in that same nebulous sort of um like the like they have they have like sort of the right ideas they just all feel undercooked like for like for example I, I get what they're going for with um with Shrek um you know recruiting King Arthur to be well recruiting Artie to be the next like the next king it's it's kind of like it's kind of like his his like preparing to be a father 
Right. Um, and I ha like I have to assume that they they took that from an episode of Scrubs where you know Dr. Cox is like is kind of you know apprehensive about about being a father but but then but then he sees like um JD and Turk um you know like going going to work drunk and he's like chewing chewing them out like he's you know scolding his own kids yeah um but like I I get what they're trying to do with that plot it's just it it's it's just the problem lies in, in execution it also doesn't help that <laughs> like I don't know it's it and it just kind of ends with a thud it's like okay we've seen where the story's going it kind of ends on a whimper also which is not a good sign where it just yeah. seems like they just had to put something out in the big in the end so and it's 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 not like the end has a bad message it's just no no but still i do find it kind of amusing that one of the controversies listed under uh in the wikipedia page was how they basically took the joke from monty python with the coconuts oh um... and Right, that like that was the whole bit in, in the in the opening where where Prince yep. Charming is is Dinner like re yeah reenacting like stuff and they make that joke and apparently like when Idol saw that joke he was just ready to sue DreamWorks and walked out of the premiere <laughs> of the film and then of course the producers and I'm sure Jeffrey Katzenberg was like well, you and John Cleese are in the movie, so we're going out, we're honoring you. And it's just like, or you just needed a needed a quick joke because you couldn't think of funnier ones. <laughs> but it, it's weird. It's like, no, like out of all, like I still think Shark Tales is a worse movie, but Shrek the Third is down there as the worst and I don't really recommend it. I think people could just skip it. <laughs> but um, if 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 you're if you're a completionist who, for some reason, cares about the story of of Shrek, fine, whatever. Um, you know, there there are much worse movies out there, uh, but. If if you don't if you don't have to watch this movie, I I would recommend you not. Like if you want to know like a sign of the quality of this film, look at the official poster for the first and second film, and just look how boring Shrek the Third poster looks. It's just Shrek in a goofy king like royalty outfit. Whoa, wacky! It doesn't. It's like okay, I. <laughs> whatever but um so let's move on to 2010 the franchise is pretty much kind of hit a brick wall after that third film wasn't as well wasn't great and they but they were going to make a fourth movie so they did and unfortunately they were the shrek franchise was getting outdone because this was the year that like this, and this was also during the time when DreamWorks was still like putting out two to three films a year, which 
makes it's no shock that they got bought out by Universal back in 2015. <laughs> um, because this was the year that we got uh, Shrek Forever After, Megamind, and How to Train Your Dragon. Boy, that, I, I forgot what a packed year that, that ended up being. And this was also the same year Pixar put out Toy Story 3. This is when Disney put out Tangled. And this is also when Illumination stepped into the ring with a Despicable Me. And this is when, like, the foreign scene was taking kind of a backseat. But we got stuff like The Illusionist, which was the follow-up film to the to the director's previous film that was nominated for an Oscar, The Triplets of Belleville, and with, the, with, like I said, The Illusionist. And even Zack Snyder put out his animated feature, Legends of the Guardians. Um, the Owls of Vahul, or something like that? Uh, or Gahul. Sorry, yep. I wanted to make sure I said that correctly. So it, it's like, it's a weird place in time for Shrek to still be around. And that's kind of what the film feels like. It, it's like, it wants to end on a high note, but it's, oh, okay. <laughs> so what's your overall opinion on this film before we kind of dive into it? Um, I'd say overall, um, I don't know if this, if this works as a final film, but like, um, I, I, I think, I think, I think obviously compared to Shrek the third, this is like, this is like miles ahead. Um, but overall, I think this is, this is a good movie. Um, it has, it has a great premise. Um, it has one of the more memorable villains. It's, it's, it's another, it's another great example of, um, you know, how, how well-written the love story between Shrek and Fiona has, has been throughout the whole series. Right. Um, in, in, in many ways, this kind of feels like a, like a reboot of, of the franchise, sort of like a reminder of what made, what made it, what made Shrek such a, um, like such a huge cultural touchstone in the first place. Right, right. This, in, in, in other words, this, this is pretty much the it's a wonderful life, but for, for Shrek. Right. Yeah, I like this movie a lot more than the third one. And I think it does a few more creative gimmicks with it. But this is like also a weird point in time for a few things. Like this was like uh, the franchise's like last breath before the supposed reboot that's happening, and this is when like DreamWorks was starting to get really good with their animation. So let's just uh let's talk about the story. So basically, Shrek is a family man now, and he's feeling like he can't really be who, like who he once was, and he's and the world kind of treats him or not, not shames him for it, but like. He, it's like he's no longer the big mean green ogre. He's the family, the family man and whatnot. And after a blow up at his kid's birthday party, which 
to be to give him credit, I would be so pissed off as well if I had all of that dunk dumped onto me of just like people being inconsiderate and obnoxious. So anyway, we'll we'll get to that scene in a second. So like after a little like meltdown and fight with Fiona, he runs into a character named Rumpelstiltskin, who is voiced by uh, Walt Thorne, who we just talked about. And Rumpelstiltskin gives him an offer. Like, he can give Shrek a day to be like who he once was if he gives Shrek like a day in return. So Shrek makes the deal uh, and is teleported to a world where Shrek face like like a reboot, a restart to like who he once was. The catch, the day that Rumpelstiltskin could take away was the day when Shrek was born. So now Shrek is in this entirely different reality where Rumpelstiltskin conquered the world. And it's like in a very like post-apocalyptic setting. Mm-hmm. And so now it's up to Shrek to find Fiona, find Donkey, get and get and take down Rumpelstiltskin to bring back his life and to be just to remember that how good he had it. <laughs> so here's something I noted that's interesting. We're now at a point where DreamWorks' CGI is really good. And I think that's actually a detriment to the human designs. You think so? I think it hurts them a little because now they they don't look as good and not because they're just in higher quality, but then it's like you they do something that was kind of interesting. Rumpel's, uh, Rumpelstiltskin has an entirely different design from the third and fourth film. Yeah, I, 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 noticed, I noticed that when I watched um, the, when I watched Shrek the Third and Rumpelstiltskin made an appearance, I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, so they, they're breaking continuity already, but that doesn't matter. I don't think they were intending that to be a, an issue. And he looks so much better than the actual humans do. And... Like everyone's, everyone looks fine. And then they go and do something that I'm surprised that the show, like the third film didn't do. They introduce other ogres. And they have these kind of weird, realistic faces like on them compared, and like the witches do too. Like, it, it seems like some of the characters are more cartoony looking and some of them are still realistic looking. And it, I don't think it clashes. I don't think it mixes well. Yeah. That's, I, that's, that's such a weird problem for the later, the later films in this franchise to have that um, there's like an inconsistency in the um, like in the character designs. Yeah, and I mean it's not like the and and like like I said, I like that's I like some of the gags that they come up with. Like I love that the bounty hunter thing that they do again is with the Pied Piper, and I think the Pied Piper is a great like pseudo antagonist. 
I, I, I like how he has like different mo like different settings for for his flute. And, oh, and, and, and one of them is just like a um, like a silhouette of of Shrek's head. Yeah, for <laughs> for ogres. And I like well and I liked uh, the uh, oh what was it? Uh, I forgot what, um, anyway. Um, and I liked the whole like the witches and such. I thought they were all kind of fun. Like one of them is voiced by Kristen Shawl. You can spot her if you're paying attention. Yep. And uh, Kathy Griffin shows up at one point. Lake Bell as well, and Mary Kay Place. Um, and like Billy Hayes does, and of course like Mike Mitchell shows up from time to time in this. Um, but I, I guess it's like it has some of the same issues with the third with the third film just like the fact that they introduce other ogres i was kind of getting an indication that like shrek was like the last one <laughs> because why does it take so long to finally introduce other ogres and their designs are just i don't know if i like their design their designs i i I, th I think i think i'm just not used to them because like because like shrek shrek is so like is so iconic that to put to put him next to like other other ogres just feels kind of off he looks too cartoony compared to the other to the others like bro like the brogan who's voiced by john ham has a more realistic look then there's gretchen who's voiced by jane lynch and then cookie who's voiced by craig robinson who's great mm -hmm. um <laughs> I, I what what is that little cart that he has i forgot what it like um a chalupa cart or something 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 like that <laughs> when they're doing when they're going over over the plants and then fiona's like wait what's that say so it's my uh or no i think it's like a chimichanga cart and he's like y'all gonna need that no i don't think we'll need that i don't know man you'll be hungry <laughs> And like, what did you think about Shrek's like meltdown at the beginning of the film? Um, I think I think that was probably the worst the worst moment because you know I I I on the one hand I understand I understand that like this this movie is sort of like a metaphor for Shrek going through a midlife crisis. But um, the specific the specific dialogue he says, um, you know, af after Fiona asks, like, you know, what you wish you wish your life life would be, you know, um, like you wish you had your life back before before you met me, and he says, well, yes, like exactly, yeah, and it's like like I I yikes. I. <laughs> Um, it's it again. It's all in the execution, and I think, I I, I think like what would what would have made him a little bit more sympathetic is if there was like I don't know, maybe maybe just like a like like a five second pause, um, like in in between, right. You know, 
we like we kind we kind of talked about this off air that um what once once you kind of get past the very uncomfortable opening sequence the like the rest of the film once the actual plot kicks in gets a lot better yeah like it's like and i understand what what like what exactly they were going for with um the opening sequence of just like shrek just not being able to have time for himself then tell them to communicate it's like he just let it build up too much and then everyone else was just kind of inconsiderate like donkey being like i'm gonna lick the frosting and it's just like why and and then it's just like i don't know it like a lot of, it, it just seems like nobody was able to co- to communicate with one another but like but yeah i think after you get past that one that first part it's um it's a lot better it's, it it goes a lot smoother and i love some of the, the gimmicks of this new reality like i love seeing the gingerbread man as a gladiator yep and, and uh, uh, go ahead like <laughs> um like the the design of puss in boots who oh, you know gosh. who has who is um has gone soft is i, I don't know i'm maybe maybe i'm just i'm just an easy lay for for cat humor but see like see seeing him all uh like chunky yeah yeah like, see, I, I, like it's 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 just too, it's just too funny um like it the, is funny. Like the way I, he's the way he's just kind of like um schlepping schlepping about oh he's so he it, it i think it's his animation that makes it work because otherwise it's a fat joke mm-hmm. <laughs> and like i love when he like gets out of his little cat house and it's just like he's keeping like a serious look on his face like even though he's like slowly going down it and then he's just like come at me if you dare and it's like are you kidding me and it's like i catch the rodents and then that you, you see a rat go up to his saucer of milk and he's like eh i'll get that one later <laughs> though i think the best joke is when he accident accidentally eats the gingerbread man <laughs> it's yeah, like when like, they're kind oh, of what are you fin- are you were you finished yeah it's like oh did you want to eat him <laughs> and i like um what did you think of Rumpelstiltskin as a villain? I kind of liked him. I kind of wish he was the villain from the third film, like for the third film instead of Prince Charming. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, if, 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 if this was, if this was like a, tr- like a clean trilogy, um, uh, Rumpelstiltskin would have been a perfect villain for, basically the plot of the third film yeah he would have and i think he has some of the best lines like when they meet the pied piper and he tells one of the witches like okay it's time to pay the piper no really it's well, time to pay. It's like time to come pay. on get get my checkbook <laughs> it's time to pay the piper <laughs> and no it, it really just makes the third film look so much worse in comparison mm-hmm. and I could see that how they were trying to like re 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 spark that chemistry between Shrek and Donkey. It doesn't fully work, but uh, I I think well I think Donkey's funnier in this film than the than the third one. I 
I love like when he realizes like, oh man, in this other reality, I'm a I'm a dad and I'm in love with this dragon. And like when they try to be like, oh, it's that moment where they fell in love and then he almost gets eaten. <laughs> and it, it has a nice ending too. I love the whole like true love's kiss thing coming back into play. And I love like the little clap, the, 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 it's the, the lines with between the lines or whatever that term is for like you know uh look like signing stuff um the, oh the fine print within the fine print um yep. and it ends okay like i don't know it, like i guess rumpled silkskin just kind of vanishes from the universe after that <laughs> and then it just seems like Kind of like, yeah, we're going to play I'm a Believer again at the end. And everything's good. And then the, the ogres are back. And it's like, okay, so wait, wait, wait. When did the ogres come back? <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel like there were a few ideas that they could have ironed out. But I do think how they handle Fiona is great. With just her having to deal with getting out of the castle herself. Um, this... I think I think as far as as far as strengths go, um, the like the things that work about Shrek Forever Actor are exactly the things that work about the first Shrek. You know, the story, the characters, pre- pretty much the meat the meat and potatoes stuff. Yeah, works. It's 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 the more ambitious. It's the more ambitious things where. I take I take a little bit of issue with, like I I commend I commend the attempts, but it also kind of beg it also kind of begs more like further questions, you know. For example, right. you know, for example, mm. where like where did the other um, ogres come from? Um, you know, did did Rumpelstiltskin um, seek like? Like did 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 he like seek them out personally as his slaves or like you know um, if 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 we wanted to we could we could pick apart like all the like the minute plot details right right <clears throat> but in the end I think it's a fine film it's definitely not the worst film of 2010 that goes to alpha and omega um but in a year when they had megamind and how to train your dragon shrek forever after just falls flat and that's a shame it kind of it's it sucks that like the kung fu panda and how to train your dragon franchises were able to end on a high note while shrek just ends on like eh that's it. <laughs> yeah. See, this, this this is this is why this is why I um, I don't think this works as a final film um, because they 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 didn't they didn't bring their A game. This is like their B plus game. game. Yeah, yeah. Like like B their B B plus game. Right. Right. But um. Let's move on because even though the franchise kind of tanked out or tapped out, in 2011, they released a, C- a spinoff with Puss in Boots. And did you know that they, they were trying to make this a 
direct a video film? Yeah, I I I read I read about this. Um, so this 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 film the spinoff has been in development since the release of uh, of Shrek Two. Um, and I guess in hindsight, watching Shrek Two, it, it does kind of feel like um, it it feels like this character um, who we meet for the first time like kind of comes with like this like this baggage like you know he had he has this very mysterious backstory and the fact that he's voiced by Ant Antonio Banderas um pretty much fills in a lot a lot of uh like a lot of that backstory um just because of his history right right um so they want they wanted this to come out in 2008 as a director video film and it had a really stupid title too puss in Historic. boots the, the story of an ogre killer yeah yeah it's... um but in 2006 dreamworks was like you know what this is pretty good we're gonna we're gonna put it on the slate yeah yeah and um so this is this one's directed by chris miller and uh, produced by uh, no, not produced. Uh, screenplay by Tom Wheeler, and this came out in 2011. And 2011 wasn't a great year for animation in general. It was. It was this just. Was, it was just a year. It was a year, but there were some noticeable train wrecks because you had Hoodwinked Two, which for some reason this got a sequel. Hoodwinked got a sequel seven years later. And then Mars Needs Moms came out and that tanked hard and shut down that entire production company along other reasons, but still. Then we had Nomeo and Juliet, which was a surprise hit because it was just, there was nothing else out. We had Happy Feet 2. And okay, Pixar got their very first panned film with Cars 2. Uh, and at this point, Blue Sky was up and at them because then they released Rio and then Disney put out their last 2D animated film with Winnie the Pooh but released then the same weekend as, as the last Harry Potter way to kill your own freaking movies Disney <laughs> anyway but then a few weird things happened we got Puss in Boots Spielberg came out with The Adventures of Tintin uh, Ardman and Sony came out with uh, Arthur Christmas and then DreamWorks put out Kung Fu Panda 2 which is a great movie that unfortunately didn't do as well because it was released the same week as The Hangover Part 2 Oy. and then Paramount and Nickelodeon hit a like not a, a not a modest hit I mean it was a modest hit financially but it was very well received and won the best animated feature of that year, Rango. So Puss in Boots kind of came out in a weird time. But Mike, what do you think about Puss in Boots overall? Um, okay, so some personal context. Um, not not only have I not like not only did I not see this film um, in theaters. I, I don't even think I 
saw like any um any trailers or anything so um like i i literally watched this movie for the first time today and honestly it's kind of awesome if if this um like if if this was like well okay so the plot of this movie takes place before shrek 2 um but like if even if this if this had no connection to the Shrek franchise at all, it would still be a damn good uh action adventure comedy. Um and yeah. a great and a great send-up of like of um the Mask of Zorro and other sort of um like swashbuckling um adventures. Which is humorous that you make that comparison since Antonio Banderas was Zorro. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, no, I think that's how I feel about it. Like, I think it's like, I think in a, in a week year that was 2011, Puss in Boots was one of the better films. It even was nominated alongside Kung Fu Panda 2 uh, in 2011 for best animated feature. Of course, like I said, it lost out to Ringo. And, but yeah, on its own, it's a fun action adventure film. Um, and I know not everyone feels that way. I, th- I think the reception was kind of mixed, but mostly positive. But yeah, I think this works. And that's not always a given when you make a spinoff film. You oh, got to have the right um, character. One, one more behind the scenes thing before we really dive into the plot. Um, this, this is one of the many, um, one of the many DreamWorks films that um, Guillermo del Toro um, worked on as an executive producer um he's he's been kind of like he's had this very on and off relationship with the company um from like i want to say 2007 to obviously now since he's had really he's had like the most involvement with the tales of arcadia uh series um but i i think i think it's 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 important to um give credit to del toro for um puss in boots specifically because um you know because antonio barris is a um you know a, like a, Spa- a spanish uh protagonist yeah and um so let's dive into uh puss in boots so basically he's on another swashbuckling adventure and he gets word of these magic beans by the way this takes place in spain apparently which is kind of weird because this is still in the shrek universe but so spain exists in the shrek universe sure okay yeah sure so he gets words of these magic beans that are being held by jack and jill who are voiced by Billy Bob Thornton and Amy Sedaris. Great casting. Uh, and on that like journey to heist to try to get them, he encounters another cat, Kitty Softpaws, voiced by Selma Hayek. And after failing to get the beans, they get into it, they chase each other and get into a very humorous dance-off, which that animation for that sequence is great. Um, 
I, I yeah, I, I, I really, I really um, fell in love with that sequence. Um, like you, you could, you could argue that it, it drags a little bit, um, but and it kind of does at points, but yeah, but I, th- I think just the whole choreography of of the dancing is is what kept me um, just um, it, it it was the um, choreography that just kept me hooked uh, watching that scene. Right, right, I agree. And um, and they run into a an old, an old friend at Puss in Boots. Um, Zach Galifianakis at is Humpty Alexander Dumpty, and he offers a pl- like a heist plan of what to do with the beans so they can go and make well, of course, the beanstalk to go get some golden eggs and the golden goose. And at first, Person Boots is but like he doesn't really want to do it, but then it's like kind of won over, and then that leads into this journey. And such as we learn about what happened to Puss in Boots in the past with Humpty Dumpty and what happens now. So let's talk about the animation because I feel like this is this was a very interesting turning point for the visual style of the Shrek franchise. Because now we're at, like this film looks wholly distinct from uh, from Shrek. Because all the humans have a more cartoony design to them, for like design direction for them. Mm-hmm. They have like bigger eyes, more cartoonish proportions. Like, of course, when you see Jack and Jill, um, like it, it looks different. Like these humans look wildly different from the humans you would see in Shrek, which is kind of interesting because it feels like two different teams were working on it, were working on those aspects, like in some regards, you know, because it's like, okay, we're making this spinoff, so we're going to be creative and different, while the Shrek Forever After is just like, oh, I kind of want to do that. Oh, no, we can't because the humans have a, a certain design philosophy to them for some reason, even though Rumpelstiltskin looks like a like looks like a troll goblin. <laughs> um, and I think I like the overall look of Puss in Boots more than the pr- two previous Shrek films. Yeah. Um, again, that's 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 why I say that. You know, if this if this was completely removed from the Shrek franchise, it would work no matter what because this this has its own unique. It has u- it its own unique style. Um, in every regard, really, from the human the human characters to you know the like the geography is different, um, like I, I other than Puss in Boots himself, the only the only real connection that this has to um, you know the universe that Shrek established is. Um, like, like we like we get we get like parodies of, of classic, uh, fairy tale and and or literature characters like Humpty Dumpty, Jack and Jill, who are married apparently. That's the part I never quite understood. Like, were they supposed to be a couple, or were they, uh, 
or were, like I I mean I don't remember the uh the original fairy tale, but I never got I never took them as a couple. I guess I thought they were siblings. So yeah, that's 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 what I thought. So you know, hear, hearing that they were married in this film just kind of it's um, weird. It's a different context for the characters. Yeah. I, w- I will say though, I love I love the casting. Um, yeah, Billy Bob Thornton and Amy Sedaris play off each other great. Yeah, and I love I love when you get first introduced to them as they uh, walk into the hotel. And they're like, we don't have any rooms, and Jill just shoots someone, and she's like, I think you just had one open, and then they sign, and then they're like, we also want a free complimentary brec- continental breakfast, <laughs> and. And those little baby muffins. And then, like, after they get their room, and then the guy over the counter is like, we don't have the baby muffins. <laughs> and I think they have, like, really good chemistry. It was kind of interesting to see them, like, their main goal was, like, Jack wanted a kid. <laughs> yeah, nor- nor- normally it's it's the wife who's like, I want to I want to start a family. No, and, and then they... Yeah, they kind of flip the trope of that on its head a little. And I like them. They kind of played as a very interesting, like, obstacle antagonist to, like, to the gang. And I, I find it amusing that they have, like, a whole army of pigs. <laughs> um, that, that, they, that they even treat as, like, you know, their children. Yeah, yeah. And, but... I, I will say, I, I, one thing about the animation is kind of weird is that, like, the cats still look fairly realistic, even though they're kind of cartoonish. Like, they kind of have that Shrek situation, like, uncanny valiness to them. But I, do, I, but I did love that one cat where they're like, like, do you know what they do to eggs in prison? Well, <laughs> let's just say it's not over easy. Oh. <laughs> like i remember the marketing for that abused the heck out of that cat mm-hmm. it's like they're like number one movie in america oh like a glowing praise from ron tomatoes and critics oh, oh. <laughs> but they used it well here in this film and man the action is great i think this is a much better action film than uh the adventures of tintin and that had an adventures of tintin has that one great sequence like near the end of the movie. Oh yeah, I, um, I know which one you're talking about. Um, and it, I think it's very creative, and I like that they do kind of sprinkle in like little fairy tale bits. Like you have little boy Blue, and then you see at the orphanage, uh, Bo Peep and her sheep. Oh, that's that that that's a good that's a good uh, reference there. Yeah, and um, I do like the joke of like when they're trying to find the magic beans. They keep stealing beans, and it's like now we have these beans, like green beans, long beans, string beans, coffee and beans. coffee beans. And it's like, do you want a jelly bean? Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I like that, like, like the act, the big action sequence when they do finally get the beans is a lot of fun, and Jack and Jill are able to hold each, like, hold their own against them. And then when they finally get the beans and they plant them, I love that there's just that little sprout, and then they're like. What's going on? What do we need to do? Well, you know, they. I hear that you need to give love to the plant. So say something supportive about it. Okay, okay, hold on. Hold on. Hey, little buddy, 
boom. <laughs> that, that actually, that actually startled me when I, when I watched it. Like, it's I, really I loud. Expecting, I was not expecting that. It's really loud, and I love that. Like when they're outside in the clouds, there's low oxygen, so they all speak in like the helium voice. Um, but um, like what, like what, what parts of the film do you like? Um, other, other than the the Tuesday night dance off um, or dance fight scene, um, I, I I like I like the sequence of them right like riding up the the beanstalk into the clouds. That that was a cool that was a cool sequence. Um, you like you talked before about um, you know like try, trying to get the beans from Jack and Jill. Um, that whole that whole sequence was fun. Um, as, as far as character moments, I um, I, I really liked how um, put Puss and, and Humpty's um, arcs came came to a close. They're like ju- just in general, they're they have a very unique relationship. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd consider Humpty um, a villain or a hero. He's, he's like, he's like pretty squarely a, um, like an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah. And I think and that Zach Galifianakis does a great job as a character. He, he really, he really does. And I love like when you find out when uh, Humpty Dumpty was like, like you 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 didn't know, but I was I've been following you this whole time. And they go through the cut, the flashbacks, and you see him like cut, like raise up from the bed at the from the beginning, and then like when or like at the uh, I, f- I forgot where that he like comes out from under like someone's dress, and then with all the cats, he's wearing like a cat costume. <laughs> <laughs> Like Zach Galifianakis is actually really good. Now I like him in like Lego Batman more, but I thought he did a good job. And like I think the voice cast does a good job. I like Antonio Banderas and I like Salma Hayek. Like, hey, anytime you can put Salma Hayek in more movies, I'll go watch them. And I like, uh, well, fun fact: Guillermo del Toro does show up in the film. Um, oh, he does. Yeah, he's the commandant. He's the commandante or commandant. Um, and like the the head guard guy. Oh, and, you know I'm 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 thinking about it now. Yeah, that of of course that's Guillermo del Toro. Right, right, and um, and funny enough, they don't like go overboard with the celebrity cameos for this one. Like you know, like I said, for some reason Seth Rogen was in the third film. It's mostly just everyone from the, like the the DreamWorks background, like uh. You got Chris Miller, Conrad Vernon, and uh, Tom Wheeler and such. Um, but they don't like, but they don't, uh, and Mike Mitchell, but they don't like try to shove in a bunch of celebrity cameos, which is kind of nice. It, like, if, if, any, if anything, this, um, um, this movie has a really, like, a, a really um, contained ensemble cast which i think is really uh refreshing in some ways yeah i think uh he does like i think that this is one of the better casts for the film 
Now, I am a little bummed out that they have to go through like the liars revealed kind of story beat when you find out that like Humpty Dumpty's been playing everyone and it was actually involved with Jack and Jill and what have you. But like, like, what did you think about Salma Hayek's character? Um, she, I, 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 I think she, I think she makes a great, um, a great version of Catwoman. Right. Is, yeah. She, she is very, very much a, um, a Catwoman inspired character. I, 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 I like her backstory. Um, like how, how she got her nickname, uh, soft paws. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's it's a pretty um a pretty unique sort of tragic backstory um but but really really just really just the chemistry that she and um Banderas have is you know pretty pretty uh pretty solid i think they could have done a little more with her but i did enjoy Selma Hayek and i just like her as an actress so same um but yeah i think for this like small smaller film like i mean granted it still costs 130 million which i don't think it needed to (laughs) especially since i feel like dreamworks has been making it work with the 60 million dollar range recently like what they did with like the crudes new age and such but then again this was like back when like katzenberg was like Every movie we make with animation needs to be $130 million for some reason. Yeah, because I have no idea. No, I, I, I do wonder where that money went into. Like, you know, that, that's always interests me about this kind of stuff when they give you the budget numbers. I think um, overall, though, I think I really liked uh, Puss in Boots. And I'm kind of curious to see where they go with the sequel. Yeah, me me too. Um, I I'm. It's 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 kind of cool how, of of all of all the characters to, in the in the Shrek universe, to get a spinoff. It it's, obviously the one like, the one with the, um, you know the obvious uh, Zoro parody. Right. Which, which is probably why he he gets a um a Netflix series that lasted for six seasons. Yeah, no, um, I remember the Netflix series. It was pretty okay. It was just kind of typical DreamWorks TV stuff. They didn't get Puss in, like they didn't get Antonio Banderas back for obvious reasons, I guess. Even though it's Netflix and they spend so much money. <laughs> Yeah, but they um, but they had but they have Eric Bauza doing a spot on Benderis impression. Oh, is that who they got? Yep. Okay, okay, I'm down for that. I, I I fully approve that they got Eric Bauza for that. Um, and but I don't remember much else about the show. I watched it for a few episodes and then kind of gave up. I was like, eh, it's not for me. I I, I might go I might go through that just out of curiosity um maybe maybe we maybe we can review that um 
uh, by the time the sequel comes out, just for fun. Oh, that'll be fun. I didn't get to the point where they uh, they introduced Danny Trejo as the. Uh, I think he was supposed to be the leader of the bandits. So I was a little like, I I'm not really enjoying the show, but I want really want to see the episode where Danny Trejo's in it. But oh well, <laughs> but we'll give it another try. Um, Certainly. Um, but yeah. Um, but that's where we are. Apparently, there's a fifth reboot maybe shrek movie coming out and ah do you think shrek works in this time period anymore like we're kind of at a point where meta humor and parody stuff is not all that popular anymore i think i think um shrek is one of those legacy characters who um um it's 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 like toy story or um or like despicable me or um to a lesser extent madagascar where you know um no like no no matter how no matter how tired like the core premise is um of like genre parody like the char- like the characters um in this franchise have endured long enough that um that pe- people people will will show up for a new a new installment now do you think it should be a reboot or a sequel uh personally i would ra- i would rather it be a sequel um because 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 with it with animation the characters don't age so um you know you can you can you can tell stories you can tell any kind of story you want in animation it doesn't have to necessarily be it doesn't necessarily need to be like a hard reboot right but who knows maybe maybe they want maybe they want to take the franchise in a new direction or um, I don't know, maybe, maybe Shrek five, um, you know, uh, maybe Shrek five is like, um, it takes place like 10, 15 years in the future. Uh-huh. And I I, 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 I don't know. There's, there there are things you can do with a new shrek film that don't necessarily require it the whole thing to be rebooted rebooted i think i would probably like to see a reboot just to get a fresh direction to it because i don't want it to be a sequel where it's like hey we're gonna do all these callbacks i don't know i'm so i'm kind of worried about where they would take this franchise even though i'm not as i'm not like super like dismissive of DreamWorks, I I just kind of, I don't know where what kind of film they could t- they would they could make with the franchise, but we'll just have to see. And that is it. All right. Um. So for recommend for recommendations, um, I don't I don't have necessarily any movies or TV shows uh, to recommend, but because because our one of our upcoming. Um, podcast 
revolves around the spring anime season. And a couple of those titles are, are going to Netflix. Um, I think, I think um, one video that I can recommend if you want to know a little bit more about why Netflix does what they do, uh, I would check out uh, Glass, Glass Reflections video on, on um, Netflix Jail, which, which apparently is um, like their decision to, in, instead of simulcasting the anime, wait to wait to release it until the whole season is finished and one like um i think two two of the two of the series um of the spring the spring anime um season that are going to netflix are um shaman king and what's the other one from the I same think e Eden Zero. Eden Zero. That's the one. And then, uh, like, I think it's called, like, uh, Cervetes, uh, the Roman fighter. I forgot what it was called, but they have a few that they've locked off to for Netflix. Yeah. So if you, so if you want to, if you want to learn a little bit more about why Netflix does what they do, check out, check out that video, um, by Glass Reflection. Yeah. I think that was a good video. I watched that recently. For my recommendation, as Mike mentioned or referenced, we are going through the spring anime season. We're going to be doing a two-episode thing in May because they just decided that we needed to watch 30 shows. And that's not counting follow-ups and, and so on. So, and short-form anime. Good Lord. Um, so I've been going through some of them recently. And these are just, this is a recommendation based off of just the first episode. The best anime so far this season that I've seen, and there's already a few a few great ones like those Snow White notes and uh, Mars Red and Juron uh, Juron uh, the Princess Princess of Blood and Snow. I recommend watching on Funimation a fantasy comedy called Dragon Goes House Hunting. <laughs> I I love it already based on the title. This is already something that I feel like would have fit, like fit the rec recommendations best because it's about a dragon who gets kicked out of his cave because he let adventurers steal an egg. And he just wants to have a home. He doesn't want to... like he's, he's like a pathetic loser of the dragons. And he just wants a home to feel safe and cozy in. And he goes all around the kingdom trying to like encounters all these other mystical animals and then runs into a, a super powerful elf wizard who's makes a living off of real estate development and this and they meet up and they go on this journey to give the to find this dragon the perfect home it is so funny the opening is a bop it's really funny it's so creative and i don't know what it is about these fantasy comedies these last two few seasons like with sleepy princess and demon castle they are creative and funny and i, I just i loved the first episode that i watched today and i can't wait to watch the next episode and i'm 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 so excited to check that one out again literally just based on the title it sounds like it's going to be a laugh riot 
it's funny. It's a lot better than some of the other ones like Burning Comedy or Comedy and uh, this one romance uh, age gap rom-com, which is just really creepy and ver- not well made. Um, and, and, and like I've watched a few others like Com- Combatants Must Be Dispatched, which is a, the new show by the crit. That, which is based off of the light novel made by the guy person who made Konosuba. I don't think it hits as well, but I have to wait and see what happens. I just think out of all the shows wa- I've watched so far, Dragon Goes House Hunting has hit it like that, like instantly. So that's my recommendation. Awesome. And yeah, that'll, that'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. Um, before we head out of here, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cam's Eye View, where I post thoughts, comments, and my reviews. I run my own website called camseyeview.biz, where I review animated features called The Other Side of Animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camseyeview. All right. And, and, you guys, and you guys can find me on Twitter at CaptainK42. Check out all my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash coachk42. Find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can check out all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. And everything can be found at renegadepopculture.com. Need escape? So do we. That'll do it for this installment of Renegade Animation. You will catch you guys later. Peace out. Bye.